Are you ready to rewind? Take a nostalgia-filled ride back to a simpler time. It's Acid Wash Memories, a retro pop culture celebration. And now your hosts, Joe Morata and Michael Quinn. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Acid Wash Memories, a retro pop culture celebration. This is episode number 14, and today we are talking about the Wonder Years. My name is Joe Morata. I'm joined by a little help from my friend, Michael Quinn. How you doing, Michael? Hiya. Hi there. It's time to wonder about those years. You know, I've been wondering when we were going to talk about this show. It it, it was a special time, Joe. Some of the fans were wondering. It was a very special time. Thank you so much for reminiscing with us here. We we promise we'll try not to sing out of key. Oh. I mean, we did that last week on the Woodstock episode. It already happened. (laughs) It already happened. Spoilers. (laughs) Yes. Thank you guys so much for being with us here on Acid Wash Memories. If this happens to be your first episode here and you hear what you like, you can subscribe on your favorite app and you can dive into the archives we have 13 other episodes all different types of topics and of course you can follow us on twitter at awm podcast you can tweet at us there or join our facebook group which is acid wash memories on facebook quinn i would say that our group is very low maintenance low drama it's just fun over the there lowest of maintenance I would the, <laughs> the, just just it's just fun almost no maintenance actually it's just like remember this thing that yeah, was fun. That's what we try to do yeah. over there and on this show. So if you like what you hear and you want to be a part of the community, just join our Facebook group, Acid Washed Memories, and tweet at us at AWM Podcast. But Mr. Quinn. Yes. Today we're talking about, uh, I think, mutually one of our favorite shows between you and me, right? Yeah, it's it's a, it's like a sentimental favorite. It's not like my all-time favorite. Correct. I wouldn't put it that way, but it's something that I watched at the time. It's something that I've gone back and revisited. Yep. It's, it's a show that... I just think it's like comfort food because it, it, it is it's weirdly timeless, even though even when it aired, it was like t- taking a, an era in the past. It's the Wonder yes. Years, you know? Yeah. The Wonder Years, folks, if you've never watched it, you should at least try it out. It's on Hulu uh, in pretty good quality in terms of like the music. Most of it's intact. Yeah. Uh, or you can find, you know, some of the original airings on the, the pirate copies. On the, yeah. The, are you serious yeah. about that? Stop. But really, this uh, the Wonder Years is a show that we watched growing up about our parents growing up. Essentially, right. that's, that's it's another it's, it's another one of those our parents' generation grafting on like the things that they like onto us. Like, why are we watching things about Popeye and stuff? Popeye. Like, you know, like <laughs> and Looney Tunes, which is like yeah, good really, point. you know, it's it's another one of those. But this was like a new production that was set back when our parents were growing up, and the hook is that. See, it wasn't that much different when it wasn't that even much your different. parents say it is, but it was it's it's all the same problems. No, I wonder, was that really twenty years ago? The Wonder Years, a special preview of a new kind of comedy, next after Super Bowl coverage. We're gonna get into the weeds here with the Wonder Years very shortly, but to sum it up, I mean the Wonder Years, which aired from nineteen eighty eight to nineteen ninety three, only five years, one hundred and fifteen episodes. It had a cross generational appeal, like you were right. just saying. It was geared towards really the baby boomer generation, yeah, and to remind them of their childhood. But the kids like us that were born in the mid eighties, and probably some of you listening born in the in the seventies or eighties or even early nineties, you could find things to relate to in this show, right? And that's why I think it was a really well done show not only was the premise really good 
I think the production was really good. Mm-hmm. I think the acting and the script writing was really good. It's a good cast. Yeah, I think it's just a really well-rounded show mm-hmm. overall. And we're going to talk about why I think it has a timeless appeal, even though, like Quinn said, it was set in the 60s and 70s. It was in the past when it aired. Yes, exactly. Like, that's, that's the thing. It's already old. It was from, already from day old. one. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to talk about the Wonder Years, and we want to hear your thoughts, so make sure to tweet at us or join the group and talk to us there. So basically, it aired on ABC, which the American Broadcasting yeah, Company. ABC Canon. ABC Canon, of course. This is ABC. It was created by two people, a husband and wife duo of Neil Marlins and Carol Black. Right. Uh, and then it was taken over by Bob Brush and Michael Dinner, which I always remember. I, I feel like the tone was set, right? I mean, these these yes. guys, the, 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 the show feels consistent to me, at least all the way through. Well, here's the thing. Neil Marlins and Carol Black were 30, 31 years old when they developed it. Right. They were the age and grew up during the time that right. they were portraying. It wasn't like they were 60 it was like first-hand experience kind of situation. Exactly, yeah. Quinn. Yeah, exactly. So they started this show, and they had previously written for Three's Company and a few mm-hmm. other shows, uh, Growing Pains, Ellen, later on. Okay, so they, so they had sitcoms. experience with a lot of different um, how to develop shows sitcoms. and sitcoms and stuff. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But this isn't much of a sitcom in my eyes. It's kind of like a... It, it, it is a dramedy, like, technically. It's a dramedy, yeah. It is. It, it's like, it, it's got a, a dash of comedy, a, a dash of drama, and yeah. just kind of like... Coming of age. There's almost a weird documentary sense to it, too, that I've never been able to put my finger on. Like, it's fiction, but it's also like the events of the time are very present. 100%. But, the, but they're also, they don't overshadow what's going on in the characters' lives. It's all well-balanced, It's a, a very well-woven-together show, yeah. I think is a good way to put it. Yeah, and you're right about it being a dramedy. The dramedy concept, folks, let's just talk about that right now. It wasn't the first. It wasn't the first dramedy. One of the first recognized dramedy, so to speak, which is a comedy drama, is probably Moonlighting. Okay. Bruce yeah, Willis I, and Sybil Shepard. Yeah. Gosh, it's kind of like Moonlighting. Isn't it? To me, the big thing is there's no laugh track. There's right? no laugh at track. At least for television at the time, because all television comedies had a laugh track yes. during that time period. Even MASH, which is like a drama show for the most right. part, yeah. towards the end but there. But if it had even a, an inkling of comedy, they'd yes. be like, well, we need the, the crowd Dark to humor. laugh at the jokes, yeah. like, right? Yeah. Another seminal dramedy show was... Uh, the Days and Nights of Molly Dodd, which I had never watched, I but I'd heard know about. What that is. Those both predated the Wonder Years, but the Wonder Years was shot, folks, for the record here, as a single camera. Almost like a drama show, mm-hmm. but it w- I'd say it was what seventy five percent comedy, lighthearted. Maybe is that balance about right? 60, it, it really 40? depended on the episode. True, like honestly, yeah. I think of it as like if you're not familiar with this show, if maybe you were born just a little bit later, because it did have a kind of short run. It was only like five, five years, years or whatever, so it's possible. Yeah. You know, maybe you were born in when the show was airing, perhaps. Yeah, like 91 or 2 or and, something. And, and you just didn't get a chance to see it. I would say it's akin to Malcolm in the Middle to a certain extent. Well, Malcolm in the Middle definitely owes a debt of gratitude to the Wonder Years right. in certain Malcolm aspects. Malcolm in the Middle is a little more extreme, it's a little but zanier. it's also made for the 90s, and it takes place yes, in the 90s. and the 2000s. The Wonder Years kind of doesn't have that um, source material to lean on. Correct. You know, so... Good way to put it. Yeah. It, it, it's a lot like Malcolm in the Middle to a certain extent. To an extent, and My So-Called Life, which would follow yeah. after, uh, mm-hmm. that leaned more on the drama side of things, but the same general concept. Right. Growing up 
and it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, that's yeah. really the point of it. And, fa- and, and the family dynamic and whatnot. And the family dynamic. Like I said, I don't want people to think like, yes, I know Malcolm in the Middle, their, their family's way fucking weird. This that's is, a that's cartoon not in live they, action form. Yeah. But it's the, it's the concept of the growing up part yes. is what I'm and highlighting. Qu- and Quinn also means stylistically in, in a, from a creative and production standpoint with right. a single camera shoot, no laugh track, yeah. that type of thing. But uh, Neil Marlins and Carol Black, their idea here was to make a family show that because ABC, ABC out of all the big three, I guess big four, throw Fox in by this point. ABC was the most family friendly. Absolutely, network. that was their bread and butter, right? In that time, at it, least it was. And their idea was to make a family show that would appeal to baby boomers at the time who were, you know, in their thirties, forties yeah. by nineteen eighty eight, but also relatable to everyone, to the baby boomers' children. It very much has a vibe of like you can sit down and watch this with your kids and be like. Yeah, it was like that. Or, right. or the kids would be like, oh, I get it. Right. right? It's like it, both sides are getting what's going on. Yeah. You know? And and you know what? Sometimes having a show like that, there's nothing wrong with that. It might yeah. not always be the uh, critical darling or number one in the ratings, or it might get looked down upon by certain people for having too much sentimentality. But really, if you really think about just boiling it down, you have your extremes on TV all the time. There's really nothing wrong with a show like this that could just be a family show that's funny and touching and right. and nice to watch. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong. So Marlins of Black wanted it to address basically the universal childhood experience, you know, not just just about the 60s. And I think it nails that. I think it does. Yeah. I think it does. And the only network, fittingly enough, that was interested in their pitch was ABC. Yeah. And again, we have to look at the landscape on ABC. ABC is a network that has TGIF and, yep. you know, family hours and uh, things like that. Yeah, and yeah, who's the boss. Perfect strangers. Yeah, and exactly. Kind of different family shows that range mm-hmm. all, all sorts of things. And, you know, ABC was also focused on morning cartoons and, and, sure. and like... They had a kid element to them. So the name, by the way, the name The Wonder Years, because some people might not know, what does that mean? It's actually, it's a nod to an old series of Wonder Bread commercials from the 1960s, the baby boomer generation, right? Of course. Where the kids that are from like ages 1 to 12 are known as The Wonder Years. The time to grow bigger and stronger is during The Wonder Years, ages 1 through 12, the years when your child grows to 90% of his adult height. Oh, but it's a God. Wonder Bread reference this whole time. That's weird. It's a fucking Wonder even, like, Bread reference. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought the Wonder Years kind of like I don't know. Just even if even if it was based on nothing, it makes sense. It's it's, it's like you when know, you're growing it's, up it's and you wonder grow- about stuff. It's, yeah, when you're growing up and you're clueless about it and you're learning right. you're learning the way of the world. Right. Exactly. That, that and that's what Wonder Bread. It's weird that it needed to be coined. I didn't think it was like a coined thing. I, I never thought no of coining? it. That. I thought it was just more of just like a colloquialism or something colloquialism yes parochial school yeah now if you've ever seen the wonder years you're familiar with the show but for those that haven't we're gonna just kind of run down the cast uh from the first season we'll get to some of the characters that were introduced as the seasons progress and what we're gonna do in this one uh, this is our second television show deep dive that we've done we did roseanne several episodes Mm -hmm. back coincidentally also started in 1988 i guess that's just our year this time around seemed like a prime time i guess no, no pun intended nah. but for abc i mean it's just yeah uh, they like launched a, two great shows that they, year they, they launched i mean that late 80s early 90s period i i really abc as a whole i think was like on a roll it's some great yeah. it's some great shows yeah full house had launched in 87 yeah. mm-hmm. uh so we're gonna run down some things we're not gonna do like an episode by episode breakdown when we get to that point what we're gonna do for you folks is kind of run through just experiences that happen throughout the show and you're going to probably relate 
your own childhood to some of these experiences. Yes. But let's start with the cast. Who's in this show, right? Like, right. what is this? Yeah, what What even is this <laughs> right. show? Right. We like, have we, the we, idea. We have, like, a, a vague, like, right. family setting in right. the 60s. Like, what but who's even, it about? Yeah, what, what, who are these people? <laughs> well, let's start with the main character, uh, which is Fred Savage, the actor, as mm-hmm. Kevin Arnold. Yes. And actually, I think it's interesting, just as a show, on an aside, that the main character is a kid. That is not common on television. That's with, a great point. You know what I mean? It, it, every show, like even down to Family Matters, which eventually became about the kids, was really a, a vehicle for Harriet. It's, it's you know it started as one. Yeah, like, and Full House started as a vehicle for the three men of the house. Right, it did. I mean, and, that, and then the it became idea. about the kids. But Especially this is Michelle. this is from the beginning. It's like the kid is the main character. Because he's the one growing really up. Really, only other main show like that was um, Boy Meets World. In that time, incidentally, yeah. uh, Fred Savage's little brother, right, where, Ben Savage. But yeah, the the main character is the kid, not the, kid. the not the adults. Good point. Now, Fred Savage uh, had been a child actor out of Chicago, and he had impressed people with his brief, but he's in it performance in The Princess Bride with Columbo. Right. The guy, he's in the bed and the yeah. Columbo's telling him the story. Yeah, Columbo. <laughs> As Columbo. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Columbo's telling his son yes. Kevin Arnold, uh, or his grandson, grandson. Kevin yeah. Arnold, uh, this, this story with Andre the Giant in it. Yes. <laughs> A book? That's right. When I was your age, television was called books. And this is a special book. It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. Great movie, by the way. Great picture. Uh, But anyway, so Kevin Arnold is the kid that we're focusing on growing up, and he is 12 years old when this show starts. So he was born in 1956. Again, baby boomer generation. You know what's weird? Just you saying, like... Kevin Arnold supposed to be born in 1956 just makes him sound old, even right. though like he's a child. Well, he'd be Columbo now, right? Yeah, he'd yeah. be the grandpa yeah, right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I'm still surprised they haven't done. Like I know they've done another Wonder Years, but oh it, yeah, there is a reboot. But, but it it was like a different family, and of it's course. and it's also in the 60s. And I was like, no, I want to see Kevin tell his family oh, come on now <laughs> like like that it's like let's go the next logical step like we jump eras and right, like to the 90s right and and kevin's leaning on his experiences from yeah that's all I, I just never understood why they didn't do that well if any executives out there from abc are listening michael quinn's got an idea for you yeah i always like the name kevin arnold because it's such a generic kid name like it's just oh, a very it, generic it's, it's american like name joe kid <laughs> yeah, like yeah right. it's like <laughs> i like that about yeah. it though another major character in the show is a, an actor by the name of Dan Loria, and he plays Kevin's father, Jack Arnold. Yes, Jack Arnold, which, th- again, okay, so this is a weird, another, like, Roseanne situation. I was where, just going to say. Where, he- like, why does the dad end up being one of the better characters in the whole show? Like, you wouldn't, from first episode, you wouldn't really think it would be, like, about this guy. Right. right. Yeah. At all. Like he's just kind of like a background, a grumpy like, background he's, dad. He's the dad. That's yes. that's all his role is. Right. right. He's he's just there while Kevin gets into hijinks or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. But and he, to guide him on the on the right path. But Dan Loria, the actor who was um, he was kind of like I guess what you would classify as a working actor, a journeyman actor who was in various films and bit parts. A lot prior like the to John this. Goodman. Too. A lot like John. <laughs> Why Good- is it? It's like a very. There's a lot of parallel. There, there's a parallel here, yeah. Uh, because much like John Goodman's portrayal of Dan Connor, Dan Loria as Jack Arnold puts so much nuance and weight into his performances, however brief his scenes might be. What I want to highlight about him is he's realistic. Again, Dan Connor's very realistic too, but 
realistic in a role of a he's a conservative father on on its face but he really isn't of the greatest like, generation by the way jack right. arnold yeah but he but he really isn't and 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 it starts to become obvious that he he cares about people and he's, he's actually a, kind of like a progressive parenting view for his in era a way, yeah uh, you know like he, he's a decent upstanding person right he's not a bad guy whatsoever right uh jack arnold is like around 40 41 when the show starts again he's of the greatest generation he's born in like 27 or something right yeah is when they say he's a korean war vet and uh he has a job and this is a plot point this is why i'm mentioning it in kind of like a shitty middle management position at a fictional defense company known as norcom Right, and and which was very common back then for these guys that you know served in Korea or even World War Two yep. to get a um, become part of the military industrial complex. Essentially, Correct. was because a lot of these guys turning back history. I mean, this is an era before college was common, as and, common. And one of the promises of you know the serving military. in these American wars was we'll get you a job after you leave, right? right? It's like yep. and, and, a, a, a nice middle-class desk job and yep. you'll be able to, you know, work the rest of your life, retire, big, yeah. fat on the hog and everything. American will dream, be, baby. Yeah, everything will be great and all you got to do is put your life on the line in a foreign country. <laughs> That's and, all. Yeah, like... That's all you have to do. Jack Arnold, by the way, is also responsible for two of my favorite lines in the show. One of them, Quinn, you know this one is, work is work. Work is work. And very, traffic is traffic. Traffic is traffic. Very dad things to say. Yeah. But another like throwaway line that Quinn and I both laughed our asses off when we were, because we watched the show together like 10 years ago, mm-hmm. you and me, is don't touch my pens. Yeah, don't touch my pens. Like these are all things that like your dad <laughs> says in passing and you don't think of them right. as interesting or right. anything. But when you see them reflected on the screen, what the fuck? Like this is like just like my dad when I was right. a kid. Like what the what the hell? Don't touch my pens. Don't touch my pens. But I think like, most of us listening can relate to having a dad like having a dad like that. That's like very particular about weird shit. Yeah, don't touch my shit. Basically, right. like that's pretty. Like it doesn't matter if it's the pens yeah. or the remote, or right? Whatever. The right. thermostat, of the course. Thermostat. Yeah, but your dad. Don't touch it. Don't touch my pens. Uh, we had uh, Kevin's mom, Jack's wife, Norma Arnold, who was portrayed by Allie Mills, who up to this point was a working TV actress. She had been on shows such as The Waltons and Guest Spots. Yeah. Lou Grant. Now, I actually, I actually think Allie Mills here, right? Yeah. I think she is very underrated on this show. She's subtle. You know why that's so cool to me is because, again, if you look at the history and a woman of that era, the housewife. Housewife, yep. 38 when the show starts. You know a lot of what this show starts to cover is how women's lives were changing. Yeah, women's and lives and all that. She's not portrayed as like stupid or anything. She's portrayed as a, a very smart woman who decided to be a housewife and, yes. and, and raise her family. And, you know, now her kids are growing up and yep. it's just very well done. Right? Very well done. It's very well done how she's kind of like what she is and how she's actually sometimes the smartest one in the room. She is a lot. And she's also very nice generally and very yeah. nurturing. The voice and of reason. And, and that's the funny part is if you upset her, they like everyone feels bad. Yeah, you don't want to upset she's always mom. So nice to them. Yes. Like she is never mean to the kids or she's anything. So nice. Yeah, yeah. Even when she's disciplining them, she's nice. Like she's a little Good too point. nice. Good like, point. You know? Yes. Uh, now, Kevin does have a, a couple of siblings here. So we have 
Jason Hervey as his older brother, who is... Uh, you, you may know him from, you know, running WCW and, <laughs> With Eric Bischoff, and yeah. also still being involved in wrestling for reasons. But Jason Hervey portrayed Wayne Arnold, the 14-year-old brother of Kevin when the show starts. Now, uh, Jason Hervey, if you hadn't seen The Wonder Years, you might have seen him. He has a bit part in the first Back to the Future film. Yes. In The Family in 1955. He's the middle child with the, with the David the, Crockett the, hat. Do you have a television? Well, yeah, you know, we have two of them. Wow, you must be rich. Oh, honey, he's teasing you. Nobody has two television sets. And he was also had a small role in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Monster Squad, and he had some guest spots on TV shows. He kind of has like a, he was kind of stereotyped as like the bratty kid. In his guest appearances. In, in anything he was yeah. in. I, I just always, the kind of the bratty, like... One of those faces. He's, yeah, it's just that, it's just a certain style of kid, I guess yes. is the best way to put it. And Wayne's an interesting character, too. I mean, because in the later embellishing yeah, on him, but we'll like, what I like about how he's introduced and how he progresses, it's realistic. He's going through a phase in his life... Puberty. As like a puberty as <laughs> yeah. an older like a like a young man kind of like right before high school yep. into high school and stuff where he's going from kind of acting childish to growing up and being an adult. And right? you know and, what? We all did that. Yeah. It's and, not the easiest thing in the world. And so as an adult, when you watch him, you realize you're watching a kid in transition where sometimes he's a big kid and sometimes he, he, he's he got a man up. Yeah. And it, it's very, it's a very interesting dynamic. 100%. Yeah. And to Kevin, he's usually an asshole and a bully in the earlier years. That's when he's being childish. Yes. But, and he's also kind of a loser, even though like he thinks he's good within his own house. He's not like... He's yeah, portrayed he's as of, like a loser he's in also, school. It's kind of like from, again, from an adult perspective, you see he's a kid trying to overcompensate. Yeah. And at home, he tries to feel bigger about himself. Yep. But when he's out, he knows he's not he's not confident. Correct. You know? And we'll get more on Wayne, all these characters as we go on here. Kevin also, Kevin and Wayne had an older sister, Karen Arnold. She is 16 going on 17 when the show starts. Uh, she's portrayed by Olivia Diabo, who is an actress actually from London. Yeah. Her mom is uh, Maggie London, who was a model in the UK, and her dad was Mike Diabo, who was actually the lead singer of Manfred Mann. Interesting. A, a, a 60s band. Um, now, Olivia had bit parts in movies and TV before this, including Growing Pains, a spot on there, probably where Marlins and Black saw her. Right. Because they were involved in Growing I, you Pains. You know what I think is weird? Um, she looks exactly like Rosanna Arquette. They, they're like the same person. <laughs> you think? Oh, my God. They're, you think so? During, their, never, during the, both of their heyday when they were heyday, young, yeah. like they, they look... I it's very weird, and I always confused it. Okay. Uh, what's interesting about Karen Arnold is she's not a major, major character, but there are episodes about her. While Kevin is portrayed as kind of the average, you know, middle school kid. Right. And Wayne, like we just discussed, is getting into high school and, like, dealing with his life. Unsure and, of himself. Yeah. Karen is very self-assured, very confident, and very much the hippie representing the counterculture, the Child women's of the lip. 60s. Yes. I, like, definitely going through that late high school, yep. early college yep. phase of, I want to explore everything. I yep. want to, you know, good, bad, whatever. I want to do whatever. And, and you're so outdated, Dad. Yeah. You know, like, all that. like <laughs> she's almost like weirdly worse than Wayne. Like, In a way. Yeah, you know In what I mean? Way. Like, because she's just all over the place, not a reliable person. No, no. Uh, to her, much to her parents' chagrin, because they there seems to be hints that she was really smart. Yeah, in she school is. She's and stuff like that. Very smart. Very, very smart. Academic and that kind of thing. And the parents are dealing with 
that phase in life yeah. where you, you I want to experience everything. I want to see the world, you yep. know, like, you know, you're such a drag. You're so behind the times. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you're such a drag dad. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, Kevin has friends and his best friend since he was a little, little kid is Paul Pfeiffer, who, of course, is portrayed by Marilyn Manson. Yeah, Marilyn Manson. No, it's, it's not him. It's not I at know all. It's a rumor. It's an old rumor. What's cool about Josh Shaviano, by yeah, the way. What, what I also another thing. I, Paul is so accurate to me because he's <laughs> no, it's true. He is. Paul he, is an accurate character. Be, and I say that because it's like. You know the average kid who his friends are kind of like nerds sometimes, like, yeah. and it, it's just the dynamic there. That that is so true to life to me. Were you like, the Paul? I don't would know. You say? I might have been the Paul at certain I, points. In I might have been the Paul sometimes. Yeah, but I sometimes. feel like I wasn't always the Paul. Correct. Right. You know what I mean? Like, but I think everyone's the Paul sometimes. Right. The, yeah, the Paul represents you know that time in life where you're scared of everything. Right. Yeah, where, where you're, you're nervous kind of, and and not confident at all. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess being brainy is something you'll never have to worry about. He's played by Josh Shaviano, who was a child actor out of White Plains. He didn't do much before this or after this. This is pretty much the only main thing he did. And his relationship with Kevin is that he's like, Kevin's the alpha to use like that parlance, you know. Mm -hmm. And Paul basically is his loyal like sidekick, loves him, like very, very loyal to Kevin. I do think it's cool how it's portrayed, though, is that sometimes Paul's a little more confident than Kevin about things. And that's, I like that dynamic they lean on each other like right it's like if if kevin's unsure paul might not be they love each other yeah and his performance by the way josh saviano's performance is really realistic and very very good it really is a good characterization it's it's very well done very well done it seems to be a a trend with this cast yeah it's like they're all they all do such a good job excellent job yeah Uh, and kevin has another best friend from childhood who lives on the same three amigos here right the third amigo this is gwendolyn winnie cooper uh who is played by danica mckeller who is from la jolla california she was another child actress that also didn't do much before this and she's the same age as kevin they all grew up together and what winnie represents is she was a nerdy girl growing up and she's grown into like, uh, a young woman and she's kind of uber pretty they, they always put the foggy lens around yeah, her the like, glamour lens yeah and like, music. And like the light is, is mm-hmm. leaning off of her and it's it's the typical like oh she was kind of a tomboy but she grew into a woman kind yeah. of that trope it's a, like, definitely yeah. a trope yeah. yeah and maybe if you've never seen the show she's the kelly kapowski to yeah. zach morris in a right. way i mean seriously I mean, they they weirdly go out of their way, too. It's like even the other love interests for Kevin don't seem as glamorous That's as on Winnie. Purpose. Yeah. That's totally like, on It's purpose. very much on purpose. Well, they all, seem flawed and regular. This whole you know? show is through Kevin's eyes. Exactly. Which is something we'll touch on shortly. So Danica McKellar as Winnie Cooper. Uh, Winnie's overall character is actually pretty complex, believe it or not, throughout the show. Yeah. She's very, very smart. Right. She's very nice, but she's also at times very like flighty, indecisive, and kind of annoying. Yes. She's that too. It's, but but she it's can, real. But it's on top real. of it, What's it? What I do find interesting is that at some point she puts her foot down yeah. and, and characters will listen to her because like, yeah, she goes through her flighty phase. She absolutely has like, there's like a phase in like a season. There's where like she, two seasons she's just almost. fucking annoying. Yeah, like, she's you know? annoying. Yeah, like, but again, we're supposed to think that because Kevin is annoyed with her. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's probably not doing anything wrong. It's just because we're getting one perspective and that's one right. of the genius things about the way the show is framed. Mm-hmm. We might as well mention it now. Although you're seeing all this stuff on the screen, it is being retold by a narrator 
And that narrator is the adult Kevin in contemporary time. So like 20 years after, like when the show aired is when it's supposed to be. Right. It's Kevin Arnold as an adult recalling his childhood. Right. Which is one of the most interesting and unique twists on this show. Yes. In general, right? The narrator is played by Daniel Stern, who you would probably know, I guess, his greatest fame from as Marv in Home Alone oh, and City Slickers. He right, was one in. of the wet bandits himself. Yeah, one half of the wet and then later sticky bandits. It's very G. Very G, huh? It's loaded. In the pilot episode, though, the narrator was Ari Gross, who was a TV who? actor. <laughs> a TV actor that, uh, I guess, his big people have probably seen him. He was on Ellen for the first couple years as Adam. I've been gone for three years. Three months? Three years. Three months? Three years. <laughs> Oh, him? Yeah, remember That's the early years of Ellen? Oh, yeah, the, the like weird male uh, roommate. Roommate like character, her friend. yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that just di- Didn't he disappear too? Yes, yeah. exactly, after the first two years. Uh, so they recast the narrator as Daniel Stern. And I want to make special mention of that because I think Daniel Stern's narration, the inflection in his voice, the script writing they did for it, it really ties everything everything together yeah he can sometimes the way he puts things um make an emotional moment hit harder yes if he chimes in and you know oh it really hurt or like this really you know this was just a really emotional moment for me or whatever and they also use his narration for humor yeah and like we were saying about the perspective thing it's one-sided to a degree because as the audience we're seeing these things unfold we're also seeing it from Kevin's memory and we're maybe seeing not it from not, his memory. Not from his not from like what maybe what actually really happened. happened. Yeah, and, it's and just, we never know what actually happened. We, That's the other thing. There's no way to know. It's just like if your dad's telling you stories, yeah. you don't really know if it's true or not. The only thing though is that it's never indicated definitively if Kevin is an unreliable narrator or not. No, it's never hinted that he is unreliable. Yeah. If anything, when they're portraying 12-year-old Kevin, like young Kevin's perspective, they make that very obvious. It's more like a point of view thing, which I think, you know, when we talk about the pilot, is there's there's pieces that I notice that are actually a good, they're kind of like a good indicator of like what I mean by this, where he's not unreliable, he's just seeing how it affects one character and not the other. Sure, sure. When you're a little kid... You're a little bit of everything. Artist, scientist, athlete, scholar. Sometimes it seems like growing up is a process of giving those things up one by one. So we've talked about some of the format here. I, I want to reiterate here, for this period of time on ABC, when they were running Perfect Strangers and Full House and their other sitcoms and most sitcoms in general, uh, Wonder Years categorized, I guess, basically as a sitcom, meaning a situation comedy with a lot of elements of drama. So and it was put on during, you know, those kind of hours. Yeah. It, I think it was like nine o'clock or eight, something. I think eight or yeah. eight thirty. But the single camera aspect, which is in stark contrast to the stereotypical three or four camera sitcom shoot where you have a, an audience and you almost perform it like a stage play mm-hmm. in front of an audience. I do not think. Uh, that this show would have remotely worked if they did it as a three or four camera sitcom no. with a laugh track it or did, an audience. It couldn't. The, the mo- a lot of the moments are too heavy for it. And a lot of the nuance would have been lost. Yeah. You need these intimate moments. How would the narrator even work? You couldn't. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you could, but it wouldn't be good. What is he over a loudspeaker <laughs> and they like hear, hear the jokes from Daniel Stern? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you know what's funny? Just to, to bring that up there. 
when they were shooting on set of the Wonder Years, there was someone reading the narration on script. So they understood how so to kind of make react. their faces yep. and kind of do that kind yep. of thing. Yeah, yep. in case anyone was wondering. That makes sense. They yeah. have to kind of be aware of how... It, the, the, of it's the gonna, framing. Yeah, it's kind of like looking at the monitor when you're calling a sports event, right? There it's you like go, you got you to kind of know... You got to know where it's going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, setting it back 20 years, and that's what it's supposed to be, you know, so if it aired in 88, it takes place in 68, etc. That was not the first show to do that. You might have heard of a show called Happy Days. Right. Uh, <laughs> but was Happy Days supposed to be right on the money by the year? Well, I'm close um, enough, yeah. yeah close I've, enough. I mean, when I was a kid, at least, I thought, oh, this episode's supposed to take place 20 years ago from the time I'm watching. Like, exactly. Because so, that's why the Christmas episodes lined up and things like that. Like, that's all. I don't know if Happy Days is more of a pastiche of the time period, but I do know it had only ended four years prior to this, yeah. which is crazy that Happy Days was on until 84. I know Laverne and Shirley would do a thing where, like, in certain seasons, mm-hmm. the, the opening, they'd show them celebrating New Year's and there'd be a sign of this year right. behind them. Yes. Like, to give you an indication of what year it is. Yep. Uh, and another show that you might have heard of that would do the 20 years back thing uh, premiered later in the 90s called That 70s Show. Right, but That 70s Show would define it at the beginning the in the credits plate. with the license plate. I it would, like it would actually say that the exact year that the show was yeah. taking place that season. But Wonder Years throughout it all is very reliable. If it aired in, in 90, it takes place in 70, like yep. reliably. And that also means the events of the 60s are occurring and early 70s are occurring in exactly. real time to these characters. Which just is kind of adds to the whole ambiance there. Right. So we mentioned the narration. We mentioned a lot of these production points, you know, with the single camera and all that. The great thing about this show is the focus of the show is on how kids and teenagers feel. Yeah. And what I mean by that is it's not just, oh, look at these zany antics. It's yeah. how teenagers and kids react to the situations around them from stupid things, which there's a lot of stupid things yeah. and mundane things, but to the huge things and the impactful things in life. And I love it because... There weren't shows on TV like that. Like, Full House is not about that. Yeah. That's a sitcom. It's, it's not like uh, Say by the Bell where it's right, like, right. We, we need to get this scheme to trick Mr. Belding into right. letting us go to the fucking beach or something. Like, it, like it's not some bullshit like right. that. We're going to have a dance-a-thon at the max yeah, or something. Yeah, raise some money right. so that, you know, Zach can sell shoes. Right. Like, it's like- <laughs> there is a, a much larger emotional depth to this show where it's very very realistic but there's also an element of the surreal in it you know there's a lot of um like dream sequences and funny elements that they mix in and a lot of it has to do with the relationships between characters there's a family dynamic that gets touched upon a lot i also like and we'll cover some of them there's a lot of like ancillary friends that Kevin has that oh yeah there, there's people that there's recurring characters and like they're not his best friends there's even some characters that Kevin there'll be an episode where they initially cross paths and Kevin's not cool with them yeah and they become sort of like enemies mm-hmm. throughout the seasons or whatever but I mean if you went to school if anyone listening here ever went to school you ever yeah. go to school you probably had like your core couple of really close friends. Yeah. And then you probably had like some other people that for a few years or so, like you were, you were fine hanging out with. Yeah. But and th- <laughs> there's even realistic stuff like, um, Wayne's friends. Yeah. There's we're, also we're, like the, the side people, <laughs> yeah. like, and very ancillary. Right. Yeah. Like, and I just like that. Yeah. That's how it really was for me growing yeah. up. You know, you have like your main, like you and I were always friends in high right. school, but we also, but then there's your brother's friends <laughs> yeah. or, or like maybe Winnie's friends. 
Yeah. Even Paul has separate other friends. There's, o- there's other people, yeah. yeah. Another great thing, I one of the most memorable things about the show, I think, is its theme song. Yes. Uh, which, you know, incidentally, last week we talked about Joe Cocker right. at Woodstock 69, but I mean... His rendition, his cover of the Beatles with a little help from my friends is the opener for this show. And it's it's probably one of the main things that this show is remembered for, oddly enough, is because it's just so iconic. I always love the opening of this show because it's just it's family like super eight film of yeah. them like grilling or like throwing the yeah, football that's or what whatever, it is. Just whatever. Fucking around. Just fucking around and like but it, it makes it seem like you opened up like a time capsule or something. Yep, that's the idea. Maybe you're playing you know, it's so well done because it's almost maybe like you're playing a you found like a box, right? With film of your family and maybe some records from back then, and you put the record on and you put the, f- the film on, and you're oh, I, I remember when my dad did that, and the, this song's playing behind it because yeah. those Super A films didn't have sound. No, they did not. So it's like it's it's fucking amazing. It's a great intro, yeah, uh, which gets updated a little bit later in the seasons, and then with one some final stills. version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually do. I, I'm okay with the final version of it. Yeah, the final version. Uh, I think even they open the song with a chorus instead of the beginning. Yeah, the one last season. I do feel like the last version of it with the stills of like MLK and some other assorted assorted events of the 60s and early 70s. I feel like that kind of puts a little more weight on the final season. I think so too. It it says like, hey, there's serious shit going on and now the characters are more grown up to to have to contend with this, right? Great point. You know? Another thing about the Wonder Years and one of the things that kept it off of like DVD releases for so long is this fucking show. God bless it for this. It used actual licensed music all the time as its background noise. Right. All the time. But that that was a that was partially though because it was ABC really threw a lot of money behind this thing, right? I mean that Yes. And we'll see it just by how they premiered it. <laughs> good, you know, good you know point. what I mean? Like they no this this was earmarked for like no, this is one of ABC's big things. We're gonna spend the money to license music and yeah, do all this, right? This is worth it, basically, yeah, yeah. right? Can we talk about the location? Because I, I like what they did. So the location is uh, basically any town USA. It's never, ever specified. Is it never, never referenced? Gwen, never. It is filmed, of course, in California. It's actually based on where where uh, Neil Marlins grew up, which is Huntington, New York, which is in Long Island. It's based on that. Right. It's filmed in LA and Burbank and places like, remember Burbank? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, gentlemen, Kevin Arnold. Um, I guess I can see where you're going with that, though, because there is an... In- it the, gives it a universal appeal. I guess I, I guess here's the thing, is there's also a weird... The only East Coast flavor I get is that Jack Arnold seems very New Yorkish. Well, because Dan Laurie is from Brooklyn. And, and almost that he possibly you know, works in Jersey there. or something yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, right. like there, there's just, you're right. There's this weird, like cross section. Well, like, don't forget Kevin wears the jets jacket. In the yeah. Yeah. Seasons. There's that too. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's all, it's all over the place. <laughs> it's right. Intentional. But then other locations look like straight up California. Yes, of course. And then the mountains in the back, right. Their street. <laughs> I'm sure there's even things they try to weave the Midwest into probably like, the, the tapestry of the, the location. Yeah. Like, so it's just literally at every, section of the country that's the point yeah that's literally the point so it doesn't take place anywhere in case you were wondering and you know what that is pretty cool because in the town here in which i live not in the section i live but 
in some nicer areas, you can walk down the streets and you feel like you're in the fucking Wonder Years, some of those yeah, streets. It's, it's that true. idyllic middle class, whatever. But anywho, let's get to how this premiered. So the pilot premiered immediately following ABC's coverage they had it this year of Super Bowl 22 between uh, Washington and Denver. Right. ABC had the, had the Super Bowl. The Wonder Years, a special preview of a new kind of comedy tonight after the Super Bowl. Right after Quinn, they debut on January 31st, 88, this brand new sitcom. What do you think about that for a pilot? So to me, that was always um, like a we're very confident about this show mm-hmm. spot, right? Yes. It was reserved for the like, this is really going to lead off our year. Yeah. Right. It's like this, this shit's going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that, too, is the Super Bowl's in, in like the end of January, right? At that point, yeah. Um, that means that it's not going to be part of the full season. No, it's it, not going it, to be on the loses, full schedule. It loses, the, it loses its first half. Yep. But it also says we're going to go off with a bang here. Like, we're going to lead in with the most watched thing yeah. on television. It's a, a right? brilliant, like, like, brilliant so, strategy. So after the pilot, it did premiere in season one. We're going to discuss a pilot in a second. But So season one, quote unquote, for the Wonder Years was only from March 15th. To April nineteenth, nineteen eighty-eight, six episodes. That's because the of first like, season. Like we said, the that started on the Super Bowl. So I mean, that's all exactly. it really had. Yep, and it was on Tuesday nights. And the first season, short as it was, did uh, number ten in the Nielsen's that year. Yeah, which for a half season didn't <laughs> have anything 10? to build up. Yeah, not bad. Pretty right? freaking good. Uh, as we mentioned already, the pilot, which Quinn and I have both seen this footage now, and uh, if it hasn't been dropped in by now, it will be. Ari Gross was the narrator instead of Daniel Stern, only in the first airing of it ever. There, that's me, Kevin Arnold, 1968. The summer before junior high school. I don't mind saying I was a pretty fair little athlete. And now and that was retcon, like when you when you see it on like TBS or yeah, whatever, right? It's Ion like, or whatever. They, they they got Daniel Stern to re-record all the voice lines for that, so the episode's the same. It's yes. identical, but it's just different narrator. Yes, and Daniel Stern is much better. Right. At it. Yeah. Let's just say that. There, that's me, Kevin Arnold, nineteen sixty-eight, the summer before junior high school. And I don't mind saying I was a pretty fair little athlete. Some notable things about this first season. Obviously, we have to discuss the pilot. So the pilot takes place in the summer of 68, right before Kevin's first day of middle school. And then we also actually get that his school at this point was just renamed Robert F. Kennedy. Right. Very timely. And what I think is interesting, too, is that the episode spends a good number of minutes um, explaining how. Yeah, it's like the, it was. It felt like the last summer of our true childhood. That things like got more real after this. Like, and and, and I, you know, have very fond memories of that summer. You know what's true though is, I could say the same thing about my last summer before middle school. Right. Yeah. Things do change. Yeah. When you're turning 12, 13, 14. It's also just it's a matter of like the, the schooling itself heats up because then you know you're thinking about high school and yeah. you know you're, you're tr- they start preparing the kids they, more advanced topics and sure. stuff like that and it's just kind of like it's just a more you know, advanced that, hormones the most that <laughs> post fifth grade it's like okay now now you're like kind of like an adolescent yeah you know like it's a hard time man right yeah it is a hard time yeah paul and i decided that the best way to prepare for junior high school girls was to look at them naked uh, so in this episode, we meet everyone for the first time, including uh, Winnie Cooper's older brother, who's 18 years old, uh, Brian Cooper, who is portrayed as the coolest guy ever. I mean, when they say we meet him, he's just seen like 
saying, don't briefly. do that or yeah. something. like Smoking yeah. a cigarette. Like he's Working got a, on his car. Got a cool car. Kevin loves him. Yeah. Looks up to him. I think what's what's funny about him is that he's still the greaser archetype. Because kind of, of, yeah. Because he's the older one, and that, to him, is is where yeah. he gets his cool from. Yeah, because he would have right. been, like, impressionable child of the late 50s, early 60s. Right, yeah, so good to point. him, like, that, you know, being like the Fonz is cool to yeah, him. Yeah, good point. Where, whereas there's already a change going on yeah. with the hippies, because Karen's reflective of that as being just a little bit younger. Good right? point. And in school, Kevin has middle school, he uh, he takes an apple out of the cafeteria and the uh, principal, uh, Mr. DePerna, mm-hmm. he reprimands Kevin for this. So Kevin throws the, the vice principal, I should say, throws the apple back into the cafeteria. Right. And this leads to a scene between Kevin and the vice principal. Kevin, the question is, what did you hope to achieve by throwing an apple into a cafeteria? No, butthead. The question is, why do you have a brain the size of a baby pee? But what's interesting about the scene is, you know, you have Daniel Stern commenting and or the, the, the Ari Gross, Ari Gross, <laughs> and they're all acting like this principal's giving him a hard time. But it's just being. But a principal. when you're watching yeah. the scene and the lines, the principal's saying it's weirdly like progressive schooling and not like of the '60s. He's very. He's like. He's talking with him and not down to him. Yeah, right, and like right. he's like he's like, I'm not gonna punish you. Like almost like he understands that he caught him at a bad time and that he's a right. good kid. Yeah. But Kevin's portraying it like, oh, this worst thing to ever fucking, fucking asshole. Yeah, yeah. And he called my parents and blah blah blah. And the best part is the scene ends. <laughs> the scene ends the whole time you just think it's Norma and the vice principal in the room. Right. All of a sudden, Jack is in the corner. They, they pan the camera, and he's like, "Don't worry, we'll take care of this." And he's grinding his hands like he's gonna—he's gonna, he's gonna we'll do some shit, right? Yep. Like, like he's gonna fuck him up. I'd like to take him home now. In my twelve and a half years, my father had never struck me, but he'd given Wayne a beating twice. They're rolling back in the car, and you know, narrator comes back in, and he's like, "I've seen my dad beat up Wayne twice ever." <laughs> blah blah blah. It's like I kind of figured, you know, like I can take the pain. I'll just close my eyes and think how much I hate Wayne or something. Right? Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's like content to be like whipped or whatever they yeah, did. Whatever back they're then, gonna do, right? And then it happens. So what we find out is that Winnie's brother, who had uh, recently gone to Vietnam, Ryan Cooper was killed. So how does Jack Arnold react to this? So this is, and this, this right away just gives me an idea of the character of Jack Arnold because immediately right before this, they're coming out of the car and Jack's kind of holding Kevin by the arm and kind of <laughs> tugging him and being like, come here, son. Yeah. You know, like, you know, you got to get punished, whatever, right? Yep. Karen and Wayne come out. Both look like even Wayne. Wayne, like both of them look like they're kind of they were crying or they were sad or something bad happened. Yeah, they give the parents the news. Norma's like, oh my god, and she kind of walks, runs in, tries to get the phone and call call up the family or whatever. And Jack, you only you see Kevin's reaction finally, and all you see in the corner of Kevin's reaction is Jack's just like big gigantic hand like comforting Kevin. Yep. 
wow see that is so accurate is yep. he he stops going into punish mode and he immediately realizes like my youngest kid is hearing this i need to like project calm to him and, and it's it so well done yep we're spending a bit of time on the pilot here because it really sets the stage for what follows later. We're going to then breeze through a lot of things. So what happens later in the episode is Kevin meets up with Winnie, right. uh, who's obviously distraught in the woods. And probably, which is funny because it's the first episode, the most enduring, notable scene of this series. It, to me, it's the catalyst to like everything. I think so. Lives, right? I think so. So Kevin and Winnie are talking and then... These two 12-year-olds on the cusp of a lot of new changes in their lives, they share their first kiss together. Right. It was the first kiss for both of us. We never really talked about it afterward. But I think about the events of that day again and again, and somehow I know that Winnie does too. It's like perfect. Iconic. It's fucking perfect. It is. It really is. Some other things that happen in this first season, just to give you a quick rundown. Again, we're doing this kind of like slice of lifestyle, just some bullet points of things that happen. Not everything is important. Mm -hmm. Kevin and Paul have an experience where they they learn about sex. They they buy this book called Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex But Were Afraid to Ask. Wayne is like a big asshole about it because Wayne is always an asshole. Right. Now, wait a minute. I think Wayne kind of might like this one. Shut up, Wayne. How far are you going to go with her, Kev? Going to try for a home run, pal, huh? Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Now, now, this one looks like a lot of fun. Why don't I read it to you? It's hard to know just how it happened, but suddenly, at that moment, with an intensity that no one in that room had previously thought possible, 12 and a half years of pent-up, impotent rage became potent. By the way, Kevin and Wayne share a room, which is like a big point of contention also. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's it, also a big it's a big milestone when Karen finally leaves. Yes, it I, is. I, right, I, right. Yeah. But again, how many people can relate to just sharing a room with somebody or your older brother being an asshole for no reason to you? Yeah, yeah. Like, literally no reason. It's the way it is. It's just that's, the way it's it like is. How, what being a kid's like. It's like the older brother teases the younger brother, and or what the younger brother is always trying to get back at him. Right. And, or what if you're the Paul in this situation, and you're the friend like having to deal with this happening you know like it's always awkward yeah like that, but that's accurate too <laughs> yeah, exactly. right it's like with the, the brothers arguing and then the friend gets involved and, and then the they, parents come in and you're like i don't want to be here anymore yeah you, you're seeing them yell at them and you're like oh god we had friends like yeah. that where we'd have to be i didn't there. have any brothers but i totally experienced the like brother being a dick thing or, yeah and then the kids fighting oh parents getting involved and blah 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 <laughs> the most classic episode of the first season is called my father's office where we get to so l- good w- it's awesome so episode. fucking good because okay let's set it up here right what we really know about jack by this point is that he fucking hates his job and he's kind of just like a generic father it's portrayed that really that's all kevin knows of him either he's yeah. not He's not really a complex person right. in, Kevin's, in Kevin's eyes. In Kevin's eyes, right? Yeah, he's just gruff. He's and very one dimensional to him. Kind of mean sometimes and grumpy. Yeah. Short tempered. So Jack's company, Norcom, right. has this thing, you know, take your kid to work. Which almost like every company yeah. in fucking America has. Yep. Like, yes. So Kevin goes to work with Jack. And what's very interesting about this, and this is why this is such a good episode, is when they get there, Jack is in a great mood. He's, he's, he seems happy that Kevin's with him. He's very proud to show Kevin, like, what he does. Can I sit in your chair? Sure. Thanks. Fellas, pull the quarterly distribution reports. Oh, and the uh, West Coast shipping statements for September. Right. Thanks. Here. No, you can sit. No, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. Sit down. Sit down. 
Okay. First thing you gotta learn about around here is the S14 forms. You gotta fill one of these babies out every time. Yeah, Phyllis. Jeff Myers on one. Okay. Hello, Jeff. How are you? Good, good. Really? No, look, Jeff, I told him the same thing, but he said that new tech wanted those 1018s. Well, uh, Jeff, Jeff, that's not really my problem. I mean, they should know their own system, right? And he's trying over and over in this episode to be nice and, like, show Kevin things, and he keeps getting interrupted with, like, work bullshit. Be with you in just a minute here, Kevin. Peter Dante on two. Yeah, Phyllis, thanks. Hello, Pete. Yeah, Jack Arnold. How are you? Good, good. Listen, Pete, I was just talking to Jeff Myers over... I don't know. I don't know. I'm checking on it right now. Oh, well, help, Pete. They can just get someone else then. I had no idea what my father was talking about, but suddenly I fell in love with the rhythm and flow of it all. The way he punched those phone buttons, flipped through papers, gave orders. He had power. Until finally, his boss yells at Jack Arnold in front of Kevin. Which is huge because Kevin had never seen his dad in like, that type of position. In a position of him being disciplined. Yes. It not, you know, because he's the disciplinarian to Kevin, right? Yep. I felt that my father was a great man. What the hell is this, Arnold? This is incompetence, just plain incompetence. Look, Al, Wysanski's a little... No, crazy. never mind Wysanski. He works for you. Now, this is the third major screw-up in your department in the last two months. Now, if you can't hire competent people and supervise them, we can find somebody that can. It's being taken care of. Well, it sure as hell better be. Oh, and one more thing. The next time that I try to get you on the phone, you better be there to take the call. Now, do you read me, Arnold? Do you read me? Yeah, I read you. Good. It's humbling, and it it seems to even upset Kevin. He hates it. Like, that... Like, they would treat his dad like that, yep. right? And there's this great scene when Jack walks in the door, as he always does, you know, storms in, loosens his tie and all that, throws his briefcase down, and then right behind him, Kevin does the same thing. Right, and and th- there's, like, a bond that is formed here. To me, it changes the... Um, the dynamic. The, the dynamic, and it, it just changes the whole where the relationship between Kevin and Jack goes yes. from that episode. But suddenly, I realized I wasn't afraid of him in quite the same way anymore. The funny thing is, I felt like I'd lost something. Jack is a way more complex, empathetic person to he, him. Like he, he understands why he is the way he is when he comes home. Right. Great episode. If, you're, if you've never watched an episode or you want to rewatch one, that's the one I would pick. I'm dead serious. It's really, really, really good. good. It's basically, and it, you know, it's great because it just, it really says like, this is where that moment in your life where you realize who your dad is. Yep. And it's just fantastic. Absolutely. So let's keep going here. A few other things that happen in this very short season is Kevin likes a girl named Lisa Berlini. He wants to go to the fall dance with her, but Zach Morris also asks her, Mark Paul Klossler. Got a horn in on this show. That's why I mentioned this. Hi, Lisa. Want to go to the dance with me on Friday? Okay. And so she goes with Zach instead. Kevin asks Winnie, but she is going with her new boyfriend, Kirk McRae. So I wanted to make a point here. It might be thought, if you're unfamiliar with the show, 
that Kevin and Winnie are like always together, but they're not. But that's one of the the pulls of it's even said in the first episode where like we kissed and we never really talked about it afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Like and like it's kind of understood that Kevin and Winnie they probably should be a couple, but they aren't. They both seem to want to go. They're like Kevin's interested in other girls when when he's interested in other guys, and that's the, just the way it is. Like real people, right? Yeah. Another character we're introduced here in this short season is uh, Robert Picardo, an excellent actor as Coach Cutlip. Yeah. Yes, the doctor from Star Trek Voyager, who's also amazing in that. Well, people, a lot of you probably think this is gym class, huh? I was overwhelmed by a sudden panic. Things hadn't been going that well so far, but if this wasn't gym class, I was in bigger trouble than I thought. He's this coach that has like an inferiority complex, and he's kind of like clearly single, clearly single, and like forty-five. Kind of a depressing character. Oh, no, it's not a happy character, right? But he's also a, funny. He's funny, but he's also again, it's just realistic. Like yeah, it's another the like gym teacher trope. The gym teacher trope, but also just like I don't know. There's some. There's a weird empathy you have for him. There is like a kernel of warmth about the guy that does yeah. get explored a little bit later in mm-hmm. the in the series. Uh, now Robert Ricardo, by the way, I found this interesting. I didn't know this. He had a, actually auditioned for the role of Jack Arnold. That makes sense. Why? Yeah. Why he would be on the show? Yep. Yeah. And the role of the narrator. Huh? And they're like, you know what? No, but why don't you be the gym teacher? And he's great at it. It's you know what? You know what's weird about Robert Picardo? If you've seen him in other roles, you would realize that he, if anybody actor. can nail Jack Arnold, he actually could. he could have done it. He yeah. could. He absolutely he's a very could good have actor. Done it. Yeah, very good actor. Yeah, he's also Joe the Meat Man Morton on uh, Home Improvement for a right. few. Yes, that's true. <laughs> few also, yeah. uh, so let's move up to season two. This was 1988, 1989, which means 68, 69. Right. Uh, this was only number twenty two, which is still good. I mean, top thirty. Right. In the Nielsen's. So that's what I want to point out about this show that I think is interesting. Yeah. This is not like Roseanne, like a runaway hit. No, it's like a prestige piece for ABC. Yeah. It definitely serves that role. Yes. ABC wants it to show that they're, we're a serious network and, you know, we, we could have bigger things. Like, because ABC was doing this too around that time. Like, they had Twin Peaks, for example. Yeah. Twin Peaks wasn't ever going to get great ratings. No, 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 no. It did at the beginning to their surprise, yeah. but it, it fizzled out, obviously, but it was more like, oh, isn't this so prestigious? We have like a real movie director making this it's show. Creative, right? These are creative achievements. Right, and and the networks, I always thought it was interesting the networks were willing to do that back then. Right. This is something they won't do now because they, you know, it's, it's a whole different. And plus HBO's for that scenario. and stuff like yeah, that. exactly. Like cable TV, but yeah. back then the networks were willing to take Anything they mm-hmm. would they would do stuff for prestige and they would do stuff for ratings. Yeah, you know, one hundred percent. So for the record here, we're still in the same school year. You know what I mean? Because that was a short season, so like we're right. still in first you know year of middle school. One of the things that happens in the season, we're just going to run down some things that happen. Just like you folks have things that happened in your life. Right. Kevin and Paul actually had this escapade where they drank beer and smoked cigarettes with their like rebel friend Gary. Couldn't believe it. A can of beer? A 16-ounce can of beer? This thing was going too far. And again, the relatability of like, oh, that kid that gets the cigarettes, you know, like, yeah, yeah. we all had friends like that. Absolutely. You know, Kevin also develops a crush on Miss White, his English teacher. This is great because it has a callback like in a later season. This is so relatable too. I mean, what who, kid didn't have a crush? There, there's on always one the teacher, teacher that is younger than your mom, yep. but older than you. Of course. And, and it's who hasn't been in that class where you have a crush on the teacher and you're you're kind of like man, you're not right? paying attention. And in 13 like, 
10 years of school, you have to have at least one, right? Especially when you're going through puberty, right? Oh, God, anything, yeah. 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 (laughs) Uh, Another plot point here is, uh, you know, Kevin is really hoping that Winnie and Kirk are going to break up. They're not yet. So what he does is he asks Becky Slater to go steady. Look, I said it was no big deal. She's just a stupid girl that I met at the skating rink, and I didn't even know her, okay? She's just one of Winnie Cooper's stupid little friends, and I'm going to break up with her as soon as I get the chance. Now this... I love Becky this Slater. Is, this is actually one of my favorite episodes. Is She's whole, a great character, in the too. Beginning, the beginning, the, the little arc here, I don't yes. know how many episodes it is. It's, it's like on and off. Right. But this arc of like now Becky Slater's his his girlfriend, and Becky Slater is the prototypical like I have a boyfriend and yes. like I'm gonna brag about show it, to my, show him off to my friends and, and blah blah blah. And come on, we know people like that in school though. In definitely. school, that's what, yeah, I mean. yeah, like, that's what I mean. It seems as like a kid. Becky's using this as kind of like bragging rights to her girlfriend. Correct. Kevin's kind of like just he, using it to get Winnie. That's all like, it is yeah, to, to fuck with her. Both of them are using it for different purposes. Yes, right. And by the way, Becky Slater was played by Danica McKellar's sister. Crystal McKellar, who also auditioned for the role of Winnie, and they were neck and neck. So the producers were like, "You know what? We got to keep you." We're gonna- is she was she naturally a blonde, or was that something they, so. they did to make them different? Nah, I don't think they dyed okay. her hair. I think they look they don't really look like sisters because of the hair. It's like different <laughs> enough. Like <laughs> I guess it worked out. Yeah, but she's fantastic in the show, Becky Slater. She uh, really yeah. Is. She becomes like actually a, a major character. I felt a warmth. An attraction, a tenderness for another girl for the first time since I'd lost Winnie Cooper. You're such a jerk! Thanks for nothing! And what she really becomes uh, in this season is his arch nemesis when he's like, no, I just want to be friends, and she starts hating him. So there's this infamous moment where she, like, decks him or something. She punches him in the face. She punches him in the face. That's one thing about Kevin, by the way. Again, if you've never seen the show or you're only very unfamiliar with it, like a tertiary level, Kevin Arnold is not like this straight-A student, great kid. He's yeah. kind of very average. Like, he's right. good at some things, bad at others. Sometimes he's nice. Sometimes he's a real asshole. Yeah. He's like a regular person. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that happens in this season is Kevin, like, starts learning piano, and he's not that good at it. He almost does a recital, and then he doesn't. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because how many of us have tried something new yeah. when we're growing up, and we're like, eh, I'm not that well, good at What this. I always liked about this episode was the relationship with his piano teacher. Yeah. Was that like that, you know, she sees potential. She sees it. That ending of just the like, <laughs> he kind of just gives up. And that's gives the up. end of what could have potentially been something important in his life. And that's yeah. kind of what it's about. It's this this weird finality to something that could have changed your trajectory. Right. right? And, like, and who hasn't had that? Right. right. Yeah. I guess we all have one thing we regret giving up. One thing we really miss, that we gave up because we were too lazy, or we couldn't stick it out, or because we were afraid. Wayne, throughout the season, continues to be a big asshole. There's this episode where he kills like a hamster by accident. He's such a dick. Well, yeah, so, so, so there seems to be like a trend developing with Wayne that like, his behavior is spiraling a little bit. He's like, an asshole, Quinn. Yeah, he he's becoming an asshole. But it again, I want to say it's be it seems to be out of some kind of like 
logical frustration with his life with his right. own life right. nothing to like, do with kevin i commend like the way they presented how his parents dealt with him and stuff because it's realistic you could tell his parents feel bad for him right they're like yes. trying to like guide him correctly but wayne is just spi- he's spiraling <laughs> yes he's, he's, he's legitimately spi- spiraling but i guess no matter how much your brother hates your guts and no matter how much you hate his there's always something you hold back there are things you could use against him that you don't use. No matter how much you hate your brother's guts, you don't really want to hurt him. There's a lot of undercurrents and hints about how like Wayne really is kind of lonely and kind of an outcast, right. despite what yeah. he tries to puff himself up as at right. home. Uh, another thing that happens is Winnie gets really pissed at Kevin for saying shit about her behind her back. Who hasn't been there? Paul and Kevin turned 13. Now, they're only born four days apart. And the plot point here is that Paul's bar mitzvah, because he's Jewish, it's on Kevin's birthday. Right. So Kevin initially is like, I'm not going to that. It's my birthday. He does go. Uh, Karen almost runs away from home. Yes. They took Julie's car. They've gone to San Francisco. They've run away? I'll uh, put on some clothes. There's also a really good episode called square dance i like this one a lot because kevin is partnered with what they call the weird girl uh margaret farquhar yes she's the one with three ponytails because you never know when you're gonna need another hair tie yeah, this is such a great oh, ep- oh my god this is such a great i feel episode. bad for her because kevin's all embarrassed right now have i been on that side of the coin yeah but he still wants to be friends kind of once he starts talking to her he realizes she's kind of cool yeah she's really nice like, but he's like we need to be secret friends and he thinks she's gonna fall for this bullshit and she's yeah. like what the fuck is wrong with yeah, I'm you i'm not like, a dumbass yeah. like what are you, are you think you're smart like yeah, what right. the fuck we'd be um secret friends okay zowie talk about a solution secret friends well yeah the funny thing is, I actually believe she jumped at the opportunity. You didn't want to talk to me? She wasn't jumping. Why don't you want to talk to me? Well, I didn't say I didn't want to talk to you. You, you don't want me to talk to you? See, now she was twisting it all around. How can you be friends if you don't want to talk to somebody? That's a pretty good episode, though, in right. terms of its realism, because... yeah. Kevin's an asshole on this one. He's oh, not he's nice absolutely the dick. He's wrong. Yeah, and the episode makes it a point to say that. And he, and adult Kevin, feels bad. Yeah, but he even he feels bad at the end. He realizes right, Kevin he, does yeah, too. He realizes he fucked up because he actually hurts her. Right. The funny thing is, it's hard to remember the names of the kids you spent so much time trying to impress. But you don't forget someone like Margaret Farquhar, professor of biology, mother of six, friend to bats. There's another one, uh, very sentimental. And maybe as a kid, you grew up with something you really liked around your town that is not there anymore. Uh, there was a thing called Harper's Woods. It was a little patch of the woods where... Which is also supposed to be the woods where Winnie and Kevin... Yes, first, exactly. First kissed, right? Where Kevin, Paul, and Winnie growing up... Because remember, they all live on the same friggin' street. They've known right. each other forever. They used to play as younger kids. And one of the... This, is, this episode is so good because what it gets at is that you grow up without realizing it sometimes. Mm-hmm. We'd grown up there together, playing games, catching fireflies on long summer evenings. Sure, they called it Harper's Woods, but we knew better. Those woods belong to us. 
they don't play there anymore. But when they find out that the town is going to be tearing down Harper's Woods to make way for like a mall or something, I forget what it is. They're pissed. They go to the town hall meeting. Yeah. And then obviously they're not going to do anything. They're just kids. What they're if, kids. They're not going to fucking listen. There's money on the line here. Right. <laughs> so what they do is the night before it's going to be demolished and you can see like the track. The, yeah, the tractors. Yeah, all the stuff. The getting ready to do it. Yeah. They play. Well, Kevin's pissed the whole time. And Winnie like leads them into a game of hide and seek or tag or something. And they play one last time as yeah. 12, 13 year olds now. But the crux of that's used as a framing device for how sometimes you just you play together one last time and you don't even realize it. Yeah. You go from being the kids that go out and play to being teenagers with more complex problems and things to do. Mm-hmm. And to me that I can relate to that. It's Quinn. a good episode. Can you not? Yeah, I mean, no, I mean. Everyone had that moment. Everyone had that moment. Especially like, hey man, we lived in New Jersey. They were always developing homes or stuff. I used to go yeah. play on a farm that turned into like a complex or whatever. Is that where you lived, you know, where you were the champion of your wrestling or whatever? Yeah, yeah, our little wrestling. That got lit. much more developed over the last yeah, what, we used 20 to, years. There used to be a farm up the hill. Right. Like literally we could just, it was like 50 feet from our house. We would walk in these farm fields and play in the play in the corn right. and do all this bullshit right and, and, and now it's just condos now it's just condos yeah. and it's just like that That episode always related to me yep there you go uh, people that were introduced in this season most notably in my mind anyway is Mr. Cantwell the science teacher who is portrayed by Ben Stein yes the surface of the earth may look stable but it's in constant motion shifted by molten forces below the shapes of our continents so familiar to us today will shift and reform like so much pond scum. That's basically, they just plastered the Ferris Bueller character yes. into fucking this show. But the thing is, is Ben Stein's not a character. That's yeah. like really just how he talks and is. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And from what I understand, all the stuff he says, he, Ben Stein's used as like a um, a framing device as well for like points of episodes. He's just going on these lectures in his Ben Stein voice, right? His Bueller. Yeah. He's ad-libbing all of that based out of what he knows. Yeah, I get that impression, yes. Very smart CNBC. Yeah. So uh, he's introduced, and some friends, the ancillary friends are introduced. Randy Mitchell, Mm -hmm. who's kind of like jock-ish, but he's nice. These are the (laughs) pre-later friends' friends, right? It's like, these are like the the middle friends. (laughs) They're just like, kind of like, in the show sometimes. Doug Porter, who's kind of like the fat kid, but he's really nice. Remember Doug? Mm -hmm. He's very, very nice. Uh, Debbie Pfeiffer, Paul's little sister, who has a crush on Kevin briefly. Yep. She's just mini Paul. Mini Paul, yeah. Mini female (laughs) Paul. That's the idea. like the same thing. And I wanted to mention another Saved by the Bell alum. Dustin Diamond is in two episodes as Joey Harris. Of course he is. Of course he is. (laughs) Yeah. So let's move on to season three. 1989, 1990. So we're going to hit the 70s in this episode, mm-hmm. in this season. Uh, this is the highest rated season, number Interesting. eight. Interesting. See, this That's is n- really high for what this show is. Yeah, because this is not... not it's just not designed to be a rating hit. It's not broad enough. Like a sitcom can be number one. Right. But this cannot be number one. You're this right. This show make, sits you down and makes you think. This is not for exactly. like just casual viewing. Exactly. It's a lot deeper than that. So we're going to recap some of the events of this season here of, of Kevin Arnold's 1969-1970. We open with the end of the summer where the Arnolds have been on a trip to Ocean City. Ocean City, just somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think like a lake or something. Or is that, that's I might think of some other thing. 
That's okay. later. And they have Paul with them. And in Ocean City, Kevin finds a girl named Terry who is yes. older than him. Now, I remember this. Like, yes. I remember loving this episode. Oh, me like, too. Like, because it's like this weird, it's like this alternate dimension where Kevin can have like another girl that well, like, he's with, not no, with Winnie. no fucking winning consequences. It's great. Just like, for the record here, it's the late summer of 69. Still not with Winnie. Yeah. Okay, I should ask her to wait for me now. Just until I get out of junior high school. Then we can get married. He's just like, fuck it. Like, right? Yes. It's like, what, what the hell? Like, they make out under the pier? Yeah, he's just, Kevin's having a good old time here. 13 at, years at old? Beach. Yeah. She's portrayed, by the way, by Holly Sampson, who is a... Uh, a what is she from? Uh, a, she, I believe adult films and regular films. Oh, that's what she ended up being? Both films. Okay. Both kinds of films. But anyway, uh, they make out under the pier. And they never see each other again. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> such a realism about that. Yes. Where it's simply a relationship of like mutual benefit for a temporary purpose. <laughs> like that's like all it is. That's a great way to proposition but, somebody. Yeah. Would you like a uh, relationship with a mutual benefit for temporary purpose? It's absolutely what <laughs> it, it is. It is what though. it is. You're right. You're right, Quinn. Yeah. Uh, we also meet Juliet Lewis as Wayne's girlfriend, Dolores, briefly. Right. This chick. Great actress, yeah. Juliet Lewis. Very right. quirky. Paul, Kevin, and Winnie all begin eighth grade in this season. There's a point in this season where Kevin, and again, if you're 13, 14, you can relate. Kevin yells at Norma, which, don't yell at Norma. I'm not coming, Mom. What? I'm playing football. Now, I thought we agreed you weren't going to play anymore. No, I never said that, Mom. What do you have against football anyway? You know, Doug Porter shouldn't be playing football. He has bladder problems. Bladder problems? How did she know that? Was there a secret network of moms who traded inside information about bladders over bridge tables and grocery carts? I just worry about you, sweetheart. Don't you have anything better to do, Mom? I mean, just stop babying me. I can take care of myself. It's a rare instance of seeing Kevin absolutely mad at mom. Which is very, yeah, it's It does very not rare. happen like, no. in this show. Like, she's he's, so nice. He, he never can, and I, if, I, if I recall, as he's beginning to get frustrated with her, there's a hesitance to even yell at her at the beginning from him where he's kind of like, like he feels it's my mom he feels bad yeah. in, a, in a way for having to like say these things like I'm growing up please stop it. And he winds up, she, he hurts her. Because he tries to, he tries to like, like I understand where Kevin's coming from. Of course, like he tries to kind of lay down the law in a sense where he says, like, I'm not a kid anymore. Which he's not. And he in kinda, that sense, he, he's not like meaning to hurt her. He's kind of just trying to like put a firm like, mom, like just please stop. And like maybe he figures in his immaturity, I'll just insult her. Maybe she'll get the picture right. right? And like. He feels fucking bad. He hurts right? her. Yeah. And then, incidentally, he injures himself, and he wants her to help him wrap it, and she says, no, you do it. Nothing really changed that night. Nothing big, anyway. Just a very little piece of something that was never going to be the same. Not ever. The thing is, it's hard to tie a bandage with just one hand. Sooner or later, though, you learn. And that's just a realistic type of situation. Yeah. I can relate to that as both a kid and a parent now. I think that episode is so realistic. It is. Like, because it's... We've all gone through it. 
it's one of those I don't feel like either character's in the wrong, which is interesting about they're, it. They're both in the right. Yeah. They're both they're they're both right and wrong. And you're you know? rooting for it to be like resolved that they can come to some yeah. kind of understanding. You're not even choosing sides right, at that yeah. point. There's also an episode, and again, who can't relate to this one? Kevin and Paul, best friends forever. They get into a stupid argument over like a Willie McCovey baseball card. <laughs> so they're like, you know what? We're choosing new best friends. We're not best friends anymore. <laughs> yeah, this, this never works. Right, exactly. <laughs> Kevin winds up with Doug Porter, right. the, the, the fat kid they portray him as. And they do. Like Kevin goes to his house, and he's like really nice. But all he wants to do is like eat. He doesn't care about anything. Like yeah. Kevin's problem with him is he's so indifferent. He's yeah. like, eh, whatever. There was just one problem. With Paul, everything had been a struggle. With Doug, I pushed and he fell over. They don't really seem to have the same interests. Like. Right, He because ha- Doug has no interest. Right, that, that's yeah. the problem. But again, I think we've all been there where you have a best friend that you have like this stupid like... I'm you have a about, blow up and... Yeah, and you're, like, you're not my best friend anymore. And then you, you, you fight and then you come back together at the yep. end and be like, that was stupid. Yep. <laughs> you know? There's a great episode where Jack wants to uh, sell the old station wagon and he finally does. There's a whole back and forth. He buys a, uh, a 1969 Ford Galaxy 500. Kevin reminisces about the station wagon <laughs> and realizes why Jack like wanted to sell it for so much initially is because of what it meant to Jack all the road trips with right, the family yeah. when they were younger. And again, the depth of Jack Arnold is he, is, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to get rid of it because go. yeah, he does. He just doesn't want to let this stupid car go. It, it feels like he's giving up like his time in his life when he was raising his kids. Yes. Right. But that afternoon I began to understand what dad had been going through. There was more to that old car than fuel pumps and crankshafts. There was part of all of us in that car. The places we'd gone. The things we'd done. The family we'd been. The family that was moving on. And for the first time, I understood the value of what my dad had put into it. Kevin cheats in math because he's not good in math. There's more on that later. Another thing that happens this season, Quinn, this is a big one, is yeah, w- this. Wayne getting his license. Yes, this episode is, like, insane. Like, the, the second he gets his license, first of all, like, I remember watching this as a kid and being like, he's gonna, like, kill somebody. Right. Like, I was like, this is insane. <laughs> like, he's absurd. <laughs> like, he's doing everything you're not supposed to do. He's already like, got a girlfriend, so he's, like, trying to be cool. Right, and then on top of it, like, you know, he does the thing where Kevin gets in the car and he's pulling up, and I'm like, Just, what if there's somebody in front of him and he doesn't, like, as, like, a, as an adult human, I'm, like, <laughs> looking at this, like, there are so many, like, scary things going on it's here. true though like, right and then the crux of this episode is like kevin because remember he's not with winnie right uh, kevin is trying to see this girl at the mall right but the only way he can get there is via wayne right the parents are like oh wayne you want to be a big you know yep big driver here yep. like take your brother to the the mall and of course wayne's a big asshole about it because he doesn't want to do it doesn't want to do it tries to get him and paul out of the car paul finally leaves so kevin and wayne get into this big tizzy right mm-hmm. and wayne's driving like a complete fuck right so wayne is out here being like oh you want to fuck around with me so he starts like driving fast to try to freak kevin yes. out yeah but what he doesn't see is another like parked car or something. Yeah, like he something like he's turning and, yep. and something he wasn't expecting comes on his uh, in his view and he's like, oh shit! He swerves like over a curb into a f- cornfield, is it or something? Yeah, they're like on a farm road or something. Yeah. And it's this whole big commotion. Kevin screams and Wayne's like, oh, fuck. 
Yeah, Kevin does like a whole speech. Of it. <laughs> you want to kill me? Like, what's wrong what's with you? Wrong with you? It's, yeah, it's like, really funny. Like he he goes off and off, and Wayne's just silent. Yep. Wayne, you're crazy. You know that? You could have got us killed. The best fucking line, and this is like the big turning point in Wayne's arc. And maybe we should just drop it in right here. Yeah. Are you okay? That is. One of the few times in the early seasons that you see any, like, true humanity from Wayne. Right. He's not just, like, a stereotype. Right. Right. Now, he does still act like an asshole, like, later on at this time. Yeah, tag. but it's, 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 I don't know why. It just seems more subdued. Like, that yes. episode has, like, a weird impact that you never forget. Like, yes. you're like, oh. Yep. Like, he fucked up and he realizes and he, he fucked up. And he cared about Kevin. Right. He actually he, does. Yeah. Like, underneath it all, right? Yeah. He didn't want to hurt him. No. He just wanted to like screw around with right. him. But he, what he doesn't, it was like the lesson of like, you're an adult now. If you screw around with him, you can really hurt him. Exactly. Like, it's not like child's play right. anymore. And he doesn't actually want to hurt him. Right. Very good episode. Uh, the Arnolds get a puppy from Grandpa Arnold. Grandpa. He's like only in like two episodes yeah, or so. Yeah, he's very not regular. No. Yeah. Uh, but he brings him a puppy. They name him Buster. Paul had a girlfriend briefly, Carla. He gets dumped by her, and then he decides to date Winnie because Kevin's like, why don't you date Winnie? Like, I don't know. <laughs> what the, that was weird. Why, why did that happen? I, I, they started Ross Racheling this shit. Like, yeah, at a, past a certain point. Well, it's Sam and Diane. Yeah. To be fair. I guess maybe it's a, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's the same shit, though. It's it's the like, will they, won't they yeah. shit. They right? throw Paul into the mix for no reason. Yeah. It's just like, oh, why don't this week Kevin's best friends dating? Everyone's right. going to date Winnie just to Paul hammer. and Winnie wouldn't work. <laughs> the only rationale to it is that. Paul's growing up, Winnie's growing up, they were friends as kids, and maybe it's True, just, just like, like a, Kevin and Winnie. It's just a natural, like, maybe Winnie doesn't see Paul as a nerd, she just sees him as her friend. We see it from Kevin's eyes. True, So we point. don't know how exaggerated Paul's nerdiness is. That's a good point. Right? Yeah. Winnie does tell Paul, in confidence, that she still likes Kevin. Kevin finds out. Makes, you still like me! You don't have to say anything. Just know that I know, okay? Know what? Winnie, Paul told me, and I'm glad he Paul did. Paul told you? Well, yeah. Isn't that great? Paul told you? He says you're crazy about me. She goes to Winnie's house, and she slams the door in his face. <laughs> <I> <laughs> love, she is, This is complex, right? Yeah. So the next episode, Kevin writes a Please Forgive Me Valentine. It's Valentine's Day of 1970. But due to circumstances, it winds up in Becky Slater's yes, locker. So this, <laughs> yes. This whole thing was just a little mix-up. Any rational human being could understand that. Unfortunately, this was no rational human being. This was Becky Slater, a face from my past. Friends, hugging you, friends. This whole, like, Becky Slater re-involvement thing. She's like, a great character. I, I love her. She's great. Uh, yeah, she's, <laughs> she's fantastic. Now, this episode has um, little Ben Savage as Cupid. Remember? Oh, God. Hey, you. Me? Yeah. You a seventh grader? Yes, sir. I skipped a grade. But anyway. It's a very kitty episode. It is. Yeah. In the midst of all of this, Becky Slater winds up with Craig Hobson. Craig Hobson is like a 
idiot kid that like Kevin does not like. But we can it's say this that. Kid. About like, all, <laughs> yes, about all these kids that are like auxiliary kids in our lives. Oh yeah, yeah. Up, they're, just, they're just there. They're just there. You don't really like them or hate them. Yeah. They're just there. They're, ca- you know? they're just characters in the play of, right. of, of life. Right. right. <laughs> and Hobson's one of those. Yeah. There's an episode where Jack and Kevin build a treehouse. They're on the roof building this fucking treehouse. They have an awkward moment seeing their voluptuous lady neighbor. And it's weird because Jack and Kevin are both thinking the same thing. Right. Jack in his early 40s, Kevin 13. They both ha- are horn dogs. Right. <laughs> right? She actually winds up visiting the house. Norma's like, what the hell's going on? Look at the size of those tomatoes, Jack. Yeah. This is Donna, my husband, Jack. Uh, nah, my hands are dirty. I've been working. That's okay. My hands have been in the dirt all day. But the way they put it, and I really like it, is, you know, Kev, maybe you're a little too old for a treehouse. And Kevin's like, yeah, you're right. And they just realize, like, all right, what are we doing here? You yeah. Know? I think you're too old for a treehouse. Huh? I'm going inside. My dad and I never had the talk. And we never finished the treehouse. I guess some things between fathers and sons are left unspoken and unfinished. Cool father and son type of thing. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a humor to it. There's Joe. a humor to it. <laughs> yeah. In March of 1970, this is very important if you care about the lives of the Arnolds, okay? Kevin and Winnie finally got back together. Finally. Finally. Jeez. Took long enough. Yeah. Two years almost. And they get invited to a makeout party. Now, I feel like this get back together, as soon as it happens, it opens up a whole hornet's nest of other fucking problems that, it does. That, that come along the way here. But, you know, in simpler times here, they get, they get invited to this makeout party, right? Winnie and Kevin go, but she doesn't want to make out there. And Kevin's like, what the fuck? But she goes to his house later. They go for a walk. And there you go. They finally kiss again. Look, Winnie, let's just make it easy on ourselves. I mean, there's no I sense really hated it. Woody, why are you saying this? Not that I really had to ask. It was all pretty clear now. Because you're my boyfriend. Oh. Two years later. It's about damn time. Seriously. Uh, Kevin plays baseball briefly. He's not very good. He thinks the coach is only like putting him in because he's Jack's old friend. We can probably relate to maybe trying out a sport briefly. Of course, you yeah, know? In, in, in high school. Yep. When it, when it matters, when it right? Matters. Not Little League or anything. Right. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier Kevin was cheating in math. Yes. So he has this teacher who is like in a few of these episodes, mm-hmm. Mr. Collins. Mm-hmm. And he is played by actually just random tie in here. The same guy that played Peter LaSalle in The Late Shift. Like, what? remember Letterman's like advisor, manager in The Late Shift oh, movie? Oh, that, yes. Yeah, call back to a few episodes ago for yeah. us. But anyway... What happens here is Kevin is not good in math, and this teacher is very, he's very odd, Quinn. He's, like, very stern, but also, like, believes in Kevin, and he's fair. Sure, he was tough, but you had to respect him, and you wanted him to respect you, too. At least I did. Mr. Arnold. 2X plus Y? Correct. (laughs) And the remainder? Uh, six? The answer is 12Y plus 3. Okay, so I wasn't exactly God's gift to polynomials. I had a teacher like that. That's like real, where he appeared to be kind of like, oh, I don't want to fuck with this guy. And then you 
he spends time with you yes. to help you and you realize oh this guy actually gives a shit like he he's like a good cares. person right yeah. it's just like a veneer like in front of the class or to whatever. get respect and make yeah. sure people don't screw with them yeah so kevin actually gets tutored by uh mr collins for a little while and then mr collins says he can't do it anymore so kevin completely intentionally like fucks up his final or whatever exam it is he doesn't want to lose mr collins yes and uh mr collins very disappointed so the next day or so Kevin goes to the teacher's lounge or the faculty lounge because Mr. Collins isn't there, knocks on the door, and the vice principal, you remember him from earlier, he comes out and he's like, as you were saying earlier in the show, Quinn, like he's not even the vice principal's like fine. He's not, I know this like <laughs> this stupid shit where like the vice principal's an asshole. He's it's, not like, though. Not even true. No, he's like, fine. It's only in like Kevin's mind. Yeah. Like when you every interaction you see with him, he's pretty civil. Like he's yeah. not. He, you know, he's stern. Went like you know from a reasonable. He's not like yelling all the no. time. He isn't like Mister Pitt or whatever. What that? What's that guy from Back to the Future? Strickland. Strick. He's not <laughs> Mister Strickland Mr. or anything. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> From Seinfeld. He reminds me of a Mr. Pitt. <laughs> so anyway, we hear the unfortunate news that Mr. Collins actually passed away that day. Um, Mr. Collins passed away this morning. He, uh, he was at home. We just got the bad news. He's been not well for a while. It's... Uh, it was his heart. I'm sorry to have to break the news to you now. So what Kevin decides... That's that, that, that one, that one like, really one. hits you because yeah. you also realize like the last like thing he did at work to help somebody. So now Kevin feels like real shit. Oh, Kevin feels like shit. Yeah. yeah. So apparently, though, the vice principal tells him that Mr. Collins graded every exam except Kevin's. Can't find it. Interesting. So Kevin has to retake it, and he does, and it's a great scene where, as he's done with it, he gives it to the vice principal who's sitting in, like, proctoring right, the test. Right, it, it's, like it's, it's, it's like a it's like an out-of-nowhere yeah. subbing, like, yeah. just, just like, a guy die, and he just yeah. has to, like, step in. Emergency fill-in. Yeah. And Kevin's last words are, don't bother grading it, it's an A. You don't have to grade it. It's an A. It's so fucking awesome. He he took everything this guy taught him and yeah. worked. I'm pretty sure they do like the glamour shot of Kevin with the pencil, <laughs> like, so, like yeah. trying his hardest, <laughs> yeah. like it's anime or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but see, to me, like if you've ever had a teacher that you know actually did care about you and helped you get better at a subject, which I did. I, I had a couple of those throughout my tenure. And one of them actually did pass away the year after I had right, her, yeah. the year after. That could resonate with a lot of people. The teacher I that think actually teacher, cares. I think the, the, the really cool part is the teacher that seems like a tough person, and then you find out they aren't. I feel yeah. like everyone's been through. There's yeah. like there's always one, yeah. right, throughout totally. your entire school experience. I would think you'd have to. Yeah. Great episode. Yeah. Another thing that happens this season, Quinn, is Karen turns 18, and she tells Jack that she's going to go to a liberal college, of course. No grades, no exams. Daddy, it's a very good school. What the hell kind of college is that? But it wasn't that Dad didn't listen. He listened. He just didn't like what he heard. Will you please tell him this isn't the Stone Age anymore? What's that supposed to mean? She's like, you know what, then? I'm going to take a year off and just go backpacking <laughs> in Europe. <laughs> I'll go to Europe. And who's going to pay for that? 
In a way, you almost had the feeling they didn't want to be rescued. And they get into a tizzy, as Jack and Karen often do, yeah. right? Not so fast. You're staying here. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I'm leaving, Daddy. And even though I'd been hearing those words for weeks, suddenly I was hearing something new. Or maybe it was as old as children and parents and families. But there is a touching bit here where, for her birthday, he gives her his military kit. It's my kit bag from the Corps. Uh, I was going to get you, uh, you know, new one. I thought you'd like this better. It's uh, for college. Murphy goes someplace. Either way, you gotta have something to put your clothes in, and uh, this one got me through a lot of rough times. I love it. It's yeah. this implicit, you know. It's like his, his, like it's okay, you can do it. You know. It's also like I can't stop you. Right. You're, you're eighteen. An, you're an adult now, and I can only, you know, <laughs> have a worried look on my face as you yep. as you make decisions now, yep. right? Yeah, you know. And sadly for Kevin, we find out in the finale that Winnie is moving four miles away. As for me, well, I had my own distances to cover. Four miles, New York to Paris. This on its face sounds, who gives a shit, four miles away, right? Right. But when you're a kid, that means you're not in the same school, which means you're in a completely different fucking world. You don't have a car. So, that is three seasons in of The Wonder Years. We hope you're getting a feel for the life and times of Kevin Arnold, the late 60s, the early 70s. Jack Arnold, big character here. Great character. The evolving story of Kevin and Winnie. Wayne, more on Wayne. We are going to do the second half, the final three seasons of The Wonder Years. So, why don't you go get yourself a snack? Go do whatever you gotta do. But we will be back for the early 70s here on The Wonder Years on more Acid Wash Memories right after this. Get your motor running Head out on the highway Looking for adventure And whatever comes our way Yeah, darling, go make it happen Tuesday's the most terrific treat Nice cheesecake <laughs> Looks like processed cheese to me Who's the boss? Then choose a role that speaks to you in some way. Spotlight operator. The Wonder Years and... Hi, sis. She must be dreaming. The name's Roseanne. Then it's chicken soup. What's with all that banging I've been hearing? I was looking for a stud. So now that you got me, what can I do for you? First it's Who's the Boss and The Wonder Years, then Roseanne and Chicken Soup. Treat yourself to Terrific Tuesday. Wendy, how's dinner coming? Dad, it's gonna be another 20 minutes. There are times you're so hungry. I'm gonna go for a walk. Only a trip to Wendy's will do. Big, big and classic, please. Hungry, huh? Introducing our biggest classic, a quarter pound of fresh beef, cheese, three big strips of bacon, plus the works on a toasted Kaiser bun. Man, Dad hit the spot. Come try Wendy's new big bacon classic, but come hungry. It's almost ready, Dad. That's okay. No hurry. You fell in love with them five years ago, and you watched them grow up. This is our last night together. You're going to be so far away. I'll think about you every minute. Now, in a television event not to be missed, find out what happens to Kevin and Winnie, best friend Paul, brother Wayne, and the entire Arnold family. Okay. 
A special one-hour final episode, Wednesday. And now we return to more acid-washed memories. And welcome back to acid-washed memories, episode number fourteen. We're talking about the Wonder Years. I am Joe Morata. That is Michael Quinn. Hi, yeah. Hi, Quinn. This has been a nice little. I guess recap of this show, just giving some general I mean, plot it's a, points. It's a, it's a real classic. I really do like the show, folks, and we hope you do too. We hope you like our show. If you do, uh, please leave us a review, subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at AWM Podcast, and join our Facebook group. It really is fun. There's no drama there. It's not a dramedy, if you will. No, it's not that. It's just fun. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about the Wonder Years. We have done the first three seasons, so we're just going to pick it right up here in season four, which Let's was. Do it. 1990-91 television season, so that means 7071 mm -hmm. in the Arnold timeline. Yes. So we're firmly in the 70s now, the turn of the decade, and this season only did number 30 in the Nielsen's. Very up and down nature of the yeah. Wonder Years, right? And folks, if you did watch this in its first run, let us know. I know a lot of people did. I certainly did catch the last couple seasons of it in first mm -hmm. run. I also watched all of it on Nick at Night when they ran in the like oh, 98 yeah. or something. Nick at Night really only helped me fill because I think I wasn't really watching to the last like two or three seasons. Okay, yeah, same here. So like it filled in the gaps of the early seasons for me. Do you like the early ones better? I, I do. I like the I first do. few. I do really, really, really like the early ones, yeah. but I do think the late ones do a lot of, they work off of the other seasons very well. I agree. The things that happen are very meaningful because of where you've been. Yeah. I also did a, a full rewatch of this with my wife about three years ago, maybe I want to say, three or four years yeah. ago on Hulu mm -hmm. with the crappy fake Joe Cocker. Annoying. <laughs> very annoying. What would you do if I sang on a tune? I don't know! They had most of the music. They had to, like, change some of the music, the it's incidentals, true. but yeah. it's pretty good. It's still on Hulu if you guys want to watch it. But anyway, let's get into season four here. So we're talking about the late summer, early fall of 1970. And one of the things is everybody hates Wayne's new girlfriend, Angela. <laughs> She's very obnoxious. The Arnolds happen to go to um, the Norcom family picnic on Labor this Day. I just remember this episode like a lot. Like I remember like watching it air and yes. stuff and like it just felt important for whatever stupid reason. The big thing here is that uh, there was some asshole, some clown, so to speak, that had beaten out Jack for a vice president position. Mm -hmm. And he's very obnoxious at this thing. And his daughter is portrayed by Soleil Moon Fry. <laughs> what yeah. a weird. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Punky what? Brewster yep. herself, by the way. You remember my daughter, don't you? No. Mimi, over here. It's Kevin Arnold! Great. The only thing worse than Detweiler was his kid, Mimi the tomboy, the one we called the stick. Kevin? Hi. And the big thing that happens is Karen does go away to college. So mm. Olivia Diablo was never like in every episode to begin with because, right. again, Kevin's oldest sibling is not going to factor into his life every day. She's a very transitory character from, yeah. from the onset. That's and her point. going to college is kind of like the cements it as like, she's not going to be here much. She's <laughs> not going to be here. And she isn't. Yeah. Growing up is never easy. You hold on to things that were. You wonder what's to come. But that night, I think we knew it was time to let go of what had been and look ahead to what would be. So Kevin starts ninth grade now in this uh, school system, apparently. This is actually still middle school. 
So high school is only tenth, eleventh, twelfth in this case. Just okay, for the so he's in here. one of those school where the where the middle school split into two. Where the middle and, school is seven, eight, nine, and then the high school is only three years. Yes, which is very common. Yeah, it's very, very. Common. It's still common. Uh, this is his first school year overall without Winnie, because as we talked about, she right. moved four miles away. But he does meet Madeline, a new girl in school, a Southern Belle, if you will, mm-hmm. and she just kisses him out of nowhere. She's aggressive. She doesn't play games. Yeah, like she's just like I. I like you. You don't know how hard it is to be the new girl in school. But there's one thing to remember. Kevin's actually with Winnie now. Right. Okay. This is the common growing up problem. You know, if your girlfriend switches schools, you... The way, the way in kid world it is, it's like, you might as well, what was your girlfriend live in Canada? Like, right. but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, you seriously. know what I mean? So it just becomes that problem like instantaneously, She's right? She's the one right here. Winnie's four miles away. Right. Mm. Yeah. By the way, Becky Slater still hates Kevin. Punches him again in this one because- <laughs> Of course she does. Well, because basically what happens is Kevin go, tries to go to the guidance counselor, but the guidance counselor is out. So it's Coach Cutlip instead. <laughs> and Cutlip's up. <laughs> he's like, why don't you run laps? Yeah. So Kevin does- Becky Slater's there. They get into a race, mm-hmm. a foot race. Kevin wins, and she punches him. It's just funny, because I like Becky Slater. She's a great character. <laughs> no hard feelings. Huh, Slate? Oh. 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 Kevin and Winnie, and Winnie, ironically, also a new girl herself now in her school. Right. They meet up at a pizza place, and they're holding each other, and who wanders in but Madeline, and she kind of gives Kevin a look, and that's it. Well, does Madeline, Madeline know she, she she's know. okay? She doesn't she know she's known. in a situation. She hadn't known until she saw Kevin and Winnie. But do you think there's a certain element of she kissed him first situation? So now, what the know. fuck? Like, we'll have yeah. to find out what happens. So it's so weird. There's an episode where Kevin, Paul, Doug Porter, you know, yeah, Ancelari, Por- Porter's still around, yeah. and Randy. They try to get into this 10th grade slumber party. Remember, they're in ninth, so the cooler kids. We all know about wanting to associate with the older kids, right? Uh, with this friend, Walter, who is um, kind of this outcast rebel kid who tries to bring beer. It's a very funny episode. The whole episode is them trying to walk to this 10th grade slumber party, and shit keeps happening. It's kind of like a super bad episode. Yes, you know? it's very. It's great way to look at it. Yeah, it's yeah. like super bad. I'm not sure how long we walked. Maybe days, maybe hours, maybe about 15 minutes. All I knew was we weren't the same bright-eyed kids who'd started out all those hours ago that autumn night. We were veterans. We'd seen the worst, and we'd survived. And now... I think we're here. I feel like this is a story that's been told multiple times of... It's always usually centered around the guys in a child setting. They're getting in trouble. They're, they're horny. They're, they're horny. They want to drink. They, they want to party. Yep. They're they, dorks. They're gonna they're gonna do all this wacky shit to get what they want. Yep. A lot of these end up with the with strolling through the neighborhood, like yep. trying to like find what they're trying to find. It's like, a really it's like a mini movie. This yeah, episode. Yeah. It's enough to say that that night we met the enemy face to face. Who is it? Just a bunch of ninth graders. And the rest. Who's out there? Is history. The old man, scatter! It's treated on purpose. It's treated as very huge and important, even though it's just a couple of kids trying to go to a party. Right, yeah. You know, it's treated as very portentous, and this really matters. Yeah. 
There's because that's to them it matters. That's why to them uh, it to them, matters. It's a big fucking deal that they get to this party. Exactly. There's an episode where Kevin is a caddy for Jack during a golf game against Ken Stein, who is Jack's boss. Really, another great Kevin and Jack episode. Yeah, is it? This is another ahead. like Kevin fly in the wall in Jack's professional life and yes. seeing him fucking suck it up and deal with this bullshit. Well, because at first. Kevin thinks like this Ken Stein guy is a really cool guy. He's giving right. him money, catting all that. And he's kicking Jack's ass in the golf. Right. But Jack catches up. And then Jack, because he's playing against his boss, mind you, mm-hmm. he purposely misses an easy putt. He throws the game. Yep. Yeah. It was the easiest putt he'd had all day. And he missed it by a good three feet. But that wasn't all. He missed the next one, too. Long, long day And somehow, all of a sudden, I understood why. And Kevin gains a newfound respect for his dad, realizing what he goes through. Mm-hmm. Jack takes Kevin out to lunch. That day, I began to realize something about this man I was trying so hard not to be like. How you holding up? I'm a little tired. He understood the value of money and the cost of it. Hey, it's too bad about that putt. Putt's a putt. To me, this is kind of retreading some ground, though. Well, it's an undercurrent of the series. It's Kevin right. wanting to make sure that he has his father's respect and wanting to understand him more. Yeah, but all these episodes start out with like Kevin's a little mad at Jack or something. Well, like, you a know, lot of and kids then he's really mad, and then he's reminded of like the sacrifices Jack True. makes. You know, True. Kevin and Winnie celebrate their one-year anniversary, but also due to an assignment in school, Kevin has to make chocolate mousse with Madeline, and uh, she has him lick the mousse off her fingers. Nothing <laughs> suggestive there. Meanwhile, the Arnold stove breaks. It's just like stupid life shit. Yeah, I I love this shit. Can't you just fix the old one? Hey, your thermostat's shot, your top burner's not juicing out like she ought to, and you got one mean short circuit in your wiring. And there it was. The carefully considered opinion of a professional. Dad had no choice but to take action. I'll get my toolbox. As a kid, don't you remember like an appliance breaking or something? The whole fucking thing. The the, the guy has to come in and fix it. (laughs) Yeah, or you have to get a new one. Or your dad's like pissed that it cost a bunch. Yes. Yeah. And we're coming up on Thanksgiving here. So Jack asks his boss for a raise, and surprisingly, he gets it, but he also gets a promotion. And this promotion requires him to work on Thanksgiving. Mm. So Norma is trying to just stay busy and brush everything off. Right. Clearly, like nothing's she, wrong. Right. Clearly, she hates this. Everyone hates that Jack won't be there. Uh, Jack winds up calling Norma, and they are able to meet him and see him for a little while at the airport. You know, he's flying in just for an hour. But I thought he said it was too expensive. <laughs> yeah. It is, isn't it? Thanksgiving night of 1970, my father came home to his family. The family he cared for. The family he provided for.
but he came home to someone else too. He came home to the girl he loved. Shows the importance of how much Norma loves Jack and vice right. versa, and yeah. how much Jack loves his family. Like this is what's great about this. They're not dysfunctional. This family, they're really not. No, and it's refreshing because a right. lot of t- television families they want to portray some kind of dysfunction. Like even Roseanne, to an extent. At some point, it becomes like, okay, we get it, but yeah. like, do, can can we just have a little comfort food here right. when I'm watching my TV show? Right. Yeah. yeah. And they're just normal people that are adjusting to their kids getting older. Jack and Norma. Are. Yeah. And but they love each other. Yeah. Like they they don't hate each other. Of course they want to be together. Yeah. I actually like. I actually, you know, now that we're talking about this, I I like how Jack and Norma are portrayed as kind of like a united front and like they're never two at odds no like, they I bicker feel, I, occasionally i feel because i feel like those couples do exist like they aren't like some weird outlier like yes. the way tv likes to see like oh everyone's always arguing and right. you know no every marriage is a mess right. and blah 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 they definitely have their moments but for the most part they just love each other right they just do uh there's an episode where Ke- paul finally beats kevin in basketball which is like a long-running thing because kevin had always kicked paul's ass right and it just shows that sometimes friends change and, and people get better at things. it's just like yeah, a it's, very- another, it's another transitory like yep. kevin and paul are isn't this starting to show the signs that they're going their separate ways yep. in a sense yes yeah. that's exactly what it is there's an episode for christmas of 70 here where kevin's at the mall uh, and he sees the mall Santa seems really familiar. And wouldn't you know mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it's Coach Cutlip. Yep, I remember this. For the first time in years, St. Nick actually seemed familiar to me. What's that? A bike? Slow down, Bobby. Ho, 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 ho. This is a heart-wrenching and heartwarming episode. Yeah. Because Cutlip, the gym teacher... You know, no one likes him, mm-hmm. and he's, like, weird. He is weird. He's not bad, but he's weird. Right. You know, he's quirky and odd, but he basically says, like, this is the only time kids can just like me, and I can yeah. be nice. It's just like, hmm. I'm not going to tell anyone about you being Santa, so let's just forget it, okay? It's forgotten. Please. Arnold. Kids like me when I'm Santa. And right then, for the first time as I looked at the man, I actually saw a human being. Not a great human being, maybe not even a good human being, but a very lonely human being. But I like this because Kevin kind of realizes, all right, maybe Cutlip's not a bad guy. No, he's just kind of, he's got his own problems. He's got his own problems. It was a miracle. He stood there like some patron saint of all the lonely people holidays sometimes forget. So Winnie breaks up with Kevin, not because of the Madeline thing, though, because she met someone else right. at her new school. I wanted to tell her that she was the only one, that she'd always been the only one ever since we were little kids, ever since she lived across the street. I didn't know what to say to you. Winnie... It's not what you think. I never thought this could happen to me. Believe me, nothing's happened. Yes, it has. Kevin, 
I've met someone. The they, gut punch there. So what I find so funny about this is the whole time we have Kevin stressing that when yep. he's going to find out and this girl's been kind of pushy, right? He's been trying to like work his way out of this whatever. And it turns out that Actually, no, Winnie's just doing the same fucking shit. Yeah. She's just as flawed as he is, yep, right? Exactly. It's like, that's all, she, she, she's not some kind of like, because that was the thing. I feel like up to this point, a lot of times they would portray Winnie as she was like above, that she didn't fuck up. And it's always, right. it's always, it's Kevin's, always Kevin's fault. Like Kevin's, a, a, he's an idiot and he's stupid and blah, blah, blah. Yep. But it turns out that Kevin, the one struggling to like push away Madeline yeah. and do all this shit. It turns out, no, Winnie's just doing it. Yeah. He's just, <laughs> just willingly like right. fucking just going around with other guys. That's right? what it was. And uh, his name is Roger. Who cares? In retaliation, Kevin tries to use Madeline to make Winnie jealous, which doesn't work. And he basically fucks everything up, mm-hmm. tells Madeline to get out of here, uh, tries to we- reconcile with Winnie. Meanwhile, in another episode, Norma makes Jack take Kevin to a clothing sale an hour away. <laughs> you remember this one where Jack's like a big grump about it. He's like, I don't want to drive an hour away, Norma. A whole Sunday down the tubes. What could be worse? So what time will you two fellas be leaving? Huh? To buy that suit. Him? Me? Us? Why not? A boy should buy a suit with his father. And he doesn't want to listen to any directions, so of course Jack and Kevin get lost. (laughs) What dad wants to listen to directions, you know? I think we just passed our exit. No. Remember, Mom said take the 15 and the 22B and we What are you talking about? It's not for another eight miles. I'm tracking it here. They wind up in a diner, and Jack is being an asshole and, like, embarrasses Kevin in front of the waitress. Yeah. And uh, get the kid a ginger ale. Kid? Ginger ale? Dad, I'm drinking coffee, okay? Oh, right. It's drinking coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't believe it. The big lummox had sold me out. Okay, then. If he wanted to play rough? So bad. Mm. You think Mom's expecting us? Huh? You know... My mom? Your wife? What are you talking about? Of course, you can't get us home because you got us lost, right? And then, on their way back, they get a flat tire. Jack cannot get the damn lug nut noose loose, but Kevin is able to, and Jack's like, oh, my son is growing up. Your mom's gonna kill us coming home without a suit. Guess we'll have to face the music, though. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I heard of this place out on the highway. It's supposed to have great apple pie. Maybe we'll go and try it. We could get our stories straight. Have a cup of joe. What do you say? And then they get really happy, and they they start talking again. It's I like the, the slice of life episode so them. much. Yeah, like they just they're just random shit happening. Love them like this one. Norma gets a very temporary job at Kevin's school as a secretary. Remember this? Yes. Yeah. Now there's a fire drill, and she's like a big embarrassment. Like yeah. Norma's actually wrong in this one. Yeah, yeah. She's like all embarrassing during the fire drill. Like Kevin over whatever it is. He's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Because like, <laughs> here's the thing: is like I I hate to say it, but there's like a boundary. There is. Right? 
like especially if your parents are at school in some capacity this is school world right. where like we have reputations to uphold here yeah, yeah we, we we have friends and blah right. blah blah like we i come back home and that that's the contract right yeah. we're, we're we're tight we're huggy kissy mom love right. you blah 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 and then at school it's i don't know you yeah right? don't do it in school mode mom yeah. she eventually gets fired from this job and kevin then sees her typing up a letter of application to a community college hmm. good old norma Stepping it up. Norm, I always look for the angles. Absolutely. Uh, meanwhile, Karen comes home from school and tells her family that she's not going to be home for the summer because she got a job on campus. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, Kevin and Wayne are bickering about who's going to move out of their room. Oh, like, this. Neither, neither of them want to leave the room. This episode's great. Awesome right? episode. This is an, a great episode because this isn't, isn't this the one where they fight? At the end, yes. and then they realize that, like, this shit's ending. Yes. Yes. Jack, meanwhile, is like, you know what? Fuck it. Then neither of you are getting the room. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the big yeah. dad solution. Yeah, yeah. He's just like, fuck. Then no the, one's the getting The unreasonable, it. like, yeah. clearly temporary just to, like, get them to think about it <laughs> yes, solution. Right. Like, like, if you're, like, a fucking adult, you're like, I know what the fuck he's doing <laughs> yeah. here. Like, <laughs> of course he's going to. Yeah, fine. No one gets it. It'll be a study or whatever. Yeah, right? well, it'll just you two will just have to live with each other and hate each yeah. other, right? So Wayne winds up sleeping in his car uh, just to avoid <laughs> Kevin. Yeah, this is so. <laughs> this episode is great. It finally comes down to like a coin flip, by yeah. the way, and uh, Wayne gets Karen's room. Okay, but this is like Quinn said. Kevin and Wayne realize like, wow, we've done this our whole lives. What are we going to do now? They both want their independence but they're also timid about it, right? They also that's have never I, been in part. Right, that's what I really like about this episode because yep. all the fighting, you start to realize it's more about they kind of don't want it to end. They don't want it to end. Right. The thing is, even today, on night when I lie in bed listening to my children in their rooms, breathing next to one another, I wish for them what my parents had wished for my brother and me. I wish for them what we had. Winnie breaks up with Roger, and she's weird with Kevin still because Winnie's a pain in the ass sometimes. This is we're in, we're in prime pain in the ass Winnie mode she, here. Like she, we are just like at the, the this is it, man. She is a pain in the ass for a few seasons. Yeah, like she is. It's like what the fuck, <laughs> right. like. What like that guy sucked? Okay, like clearly you should have been with Kevin. Why can't you just fucking admit it? Right? right? Like she's being all weird with him. It's annoying. And then this is a memorable episode. She gets into a pretty serious car accident. Yeah. So Kevin sneaks out of his house, bikes over there four miles, mind you, and he. This is a great scene where he sees her through the window. She's in bed, and he mouths "I love you" to her, and she says it back to him. And that's like one of those classic Wonder Years moments, yeah, you know what I mean? so good. Because Kevin does care about her, or else he wouldn't have gone and friggin' seen her. I think what, what's endearing a lot about the Winnie's a pain in the ass era <laughs> is that Kevin loves her, and that he's willing to, like, overlook how she's acting. And vice versa, though. A lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. And but vice versa. I, I just, I've always, I always found that in a weird way, like endearing as frustrating as it is. She is frustrating. Right, you know? Yes. Uh, there's more Jack and Karen drama, though, this season, because Karen's like, hey, dad, I want to move into this old house. We can fix it up because it costs less than the dorms, man. Needs a little fix up, huh? Oh, no. 
Daddy, it's being handled. Yeah. But someone's got to make sure it's done right. Maybe we should drive up, take a look, huh? Right, Kev? Me? Why can't he help? Looks like you're daddy's little helper, sucker. And Jack and Norma go to check it out with Karen, right? And while they're there in this old dumpy house, they meet her roommate, <laughs> Michael, who is portrayed by Ross Geller. Yes. David Schwimmer. Sorry it took so long. Hi. Hi. Hello? I, uh, bought the groceries. Uh, good, good. You can just put them down here, okay? <laughs> this is one of... If you've seen Friends before you've seen this, yeah. this is one of the most double-take, <laughs> yeah. like, fucking weird things ever where he's got, like, this terrible stash <laughs> and he just looks like crap. <laughs> like, he, just, like he, he looks very different. He's still David Schwimmer. He's still Ross. Yes. Seemed pretty clear an explanation was in order. And who are you? I live here. Uh... Everybody, this is Michael. And with those polite formalities out of the way, we sat down to break bread. It's a great bit. The yeah. introduction of Michael, the boyfriend, is awesome because obviously Jack hates it. I mean, Jack is Archie Bunker, it, generationally. Yeah, I got a lot of work to do upstairs. We were thinking about renting out three of the bedrooms. This place has five bedrooms? Uh, actually, it only has four. Let's see here, a little quick math. Four minus three equals... Where do you sleep? Believe it or not, at the time, it was an innocent question. We braced ourselves for the inevitable. My father was going to make mincemeat of this guy. Tear him limb from limb. I'm going to take a walk. There's also an unreasonableness about even Jack here because it's like Karen's a. F- what She's an he, adult. What does he think she doesn't fucking date? Right. Like what? What is he well, stupid? His like, pro- you know what I mean. Like, his problem is that they're sharing the house and a bedroom. Right. That's the problem. Now, can he do anything about it? No, he can't. She's a fucking adult. She's an adult. Well, yeah, like- but again. She's just turned 18 not long ago. Mm-hmm. It's still his firstborn, his little girl. So right. he's not going to be happy about of it. Of course. You know? That's the great pull here is, you know. But this, can, is, this is, again, the classic, if you keep pushing, you're going to make it worse situation yes, which, for Jack. Which Norma's aware of. Right. Norma yeah. doesn't like it either, but she's like, what are we going to do? Your mother and I didn't raise you to live this way. What? You mean you didn't raise me to fall in love? You mean you didn't raise me to want to share my life with a loving man? You know damn well what I mean. Daddy, these aren't the dark ages. Times have changed. Things have changed. I haven't changed! You never listen, Daddy. I'm not listening to this. You're moving out of here. Look, maybe uh, you're being a little hard on her. This is between my daughter and me. Maybe, sir, but it's also between your daughter and me. In the finale, so this would be the summer of 1971, you know, graduating uh, middle school, Paul breaks it to Kevin that he's actually going to a prep school for yes. high school. I guess that's when I knew. And I think the old days were gone. Things had changed. 
and they were never going to be the same again. I remember this being very pivotal in this it, show. It like is. This is like a big thing. And they get all hissy with each other. Very similar to the Kevin and Wayne thing where they just don't want to lose each other. Right. Kevin and Paul, because they've grown up together. It's not... By the way, Paul doesn't have glasses, I think, by this point, or maybe it's next. Remember when he just doesn't have the glasses anymore? Just wanted to mention that, though. Yeah. And then, meanwhile, remember Miss White? Yeah. Well, she had gotten this, married. This is so... This fucking shit. It is goofy. I love this, this so much. Hell. I love it, because so, it's, it is goofy, but that's why I love it. So she had gotten married right. in, in this uh, previous season. She became Mrs. Heimer. Right. By the way, Daniel Stern is fucking incredible. He's, like, so funny. Daniel like, Stern is good all of this, by right, the way. Right, but... This, Big this, shout out. This one about... Because I remember a lot of like very sarcastic comments of, of oh and now she wants her man to help her out now that she's you know grown yeah. up like he's like making like quips like he's that he's very like assy about it yeah, yeah. well she's pregnant yeah. and guess what she goes into labor so Kevin Arnold who does not have a driver's license has mm-hmm. to drive her to the hospital right it's an emergency I don't think this is very realistic. I can't relate to this, but I still like it. It's a very funny. I forget bit. what situation though. They they try to realistic it by by like saying there's no alternative essentially. Yeah, there's like, no other. Like her husband is somewhere. Like yeah. he can't be around. I right. There there's absolutely no alternative other than Kevin. Right. Is like <laughs> and people are like, what what are they going to do? Fucking arrest him right. for like driving a woman in labor? Yeah. To, to, you know what I mean? It's, it's just, cute. You'll have to drive me. The season ends with Paul giving a graduation speech because I think he's a valedictorian. Which makes sense because he's going to prep school. It's fucking Paul, man. He's smart. And the speech is heroic. Mm -hmm. Like, it's actually good. Kevin's all, like, emotional about it. It's good. The future rushes at us. And we, in turn, stand ready. Armed with our hopes, our dreams, and our memories. I did it among people I loved. Therefore... As we stand here, at the end of one journey, at the beginning of another, let us make a bond to never forget our times at RFK Junior High, and to never forget the friends that we made here. The only thing about this thing is, like, I feel like the prep school Paul thing was them, like, minkusing him. They did the, like... Why are you bring up Minkus? Because they this did the same... before Minkus. They did the same thing with Minkus where, like, he was, like, all over the show and, like, suddenly he just isn't. Don't worry about Minkus, okay? Yeah. Season five, we got two more to go here, folks. Thanks for sticking in here with us. I'm having fun recapping some of the Kevin Arnold lifetime, though. It's great. I yeah. think it's fun. So season five, 1991-92, uh, which means 71 72 mm-hmm. number 32 in the ratings so we slid down a little bit and this pretty lateral though pretty lateral. they've settled into like okay people well, watch this and that's yeah, it people still watch it at people least watch it and but it's not like the most popular show no, no. this opens with the arnolds and the pfeiffers both mm-hmm. families together to end uh, the summer vacation at the lake yes the lake summer vacation yes. now this this is a, another pivotal uh, you know what you know what there's a weird trend with the wonder years is like the first episode of a season is like important usually always like very important and it's usually the end of the summer which i like so kevin meets kara attractive to him you uh got another cigarette sorry from this one myself 
Oh. You can have a drug of mine if you want. Okay. Another uh, summertime fling. fling where somehow all the rules of Winnie are just, they don't exist. Now, have they officially reconciled, though? They just said, I love you to each other. I don't think they did. I feel did. like they always try to, like, meander around that when they do these summer vacation things. Yeah, like, you're, they tiptoe around it. They, you're right. It's never, <laughs> nothing's ever explained. Yeah, don't worry about it. Like, he could be married to Winnie, but it's summer vacation, so, like. <laughs> they're, a, they're near a body of water, Yeah, damn it. yeah. He's in the car, she's into him, but nothing can come of it because they don't live nearby or anything, you know right, what I mean? Yeah. And she's like, hey, why don't you write to me? And he, he doesn't. We go- <laughs> he does, he's a fucking- Because he's a kid. He's a fucking high school That's kid. That's what happens, man. Uh, so he's like 15 by this point, for reference. And he has his first day of high school at McKinley High. Now, yes. it's interesting bit here. RFK, McKinley, they did an intentional thing where all of the schools in the show are named after assassinated people. I don't know why, but they Mm -hmm. did. It's on purpose. I don't know why. Uh, Anyway, so Kevin goes to McKinley. Now, in middle school, he was without Winnie, if you recall. She goes to the school because it's the high school. Right, so it's everyone, right? It's everybody. It encompasses her four miles away. Correct. But Paul is not there this time. Right. Different for the first time. Which makes it more high school-y because it's about dating and and yes his his high school buddies like you right. know like this you know those rascals yeah, those <laughs> rascals uh so he tries to be with winnie at lunch but as she's sitting there the fucking football team all surrounds her at the table right so are we at the point where it okay winnie's like a hottie right she's like supposed she, to be she, she's supposed to be like truly a kelly kapowski-esque character yes, right we're at that point yeah so Kevin gets a temporary job at a hardware store, mm-hmm. and this is an interesting one because it's portraying the old-time mom-and-pop aspect of things versus, you know, the commercialization things, that have been going on. Changing, Big yes. box, yeah. We sell boob screws down at Harris's. Ah, uh, that's okay. I'll probably shoot over to the mall. The mall? Well, it's closer, easy to park. Besides, you know the old man. I stop in, he'll talk to me for hours, chewing my ear off. I don't have that kind of time. The the poignant part of it is Kevin does learn a lot from this old hardware man that owned the store, and he knows Jack. But Jack himself says, I'd rather go to the mall to buy right. this. It's easier. And Kevin's like, what the fuck? It's like, I'm working there now. Right. It's just a, an episode to show how things were changing. But I was 15. I lived in a world that was new and alive and exciting. And everything here was old. Maybe it was stupid. But that's also part of being 15. Here's one for you. After six months of not talking because of the Michael incident, Norma is able to get Jack and Karen together because it's finally Jack, it's Jack's 43rd birthday. Yep. So let's let's solve this shit. Let's right? get Karen there, right? Yeah. We're gonna go out to a nice restaurant. Jack, honey, you pick the restaurant. Everything mm-hmm. will be fine. She wants to come to your birthday, Jack. Not with that guy. Not in my house. And there it was. Dad's final proclamation. End of discussion. There was nothing left to say except. Don't want to go someplace else. Huh? It may have been the most inspired moment of Wayne's long and abysmal adolescence. Well, yeah. You know, like a a restaurant. A restaurant. 
And suddenly, Dad had been caught, dead to rights. What do you think, honey? In one fell swoop, the great wall of protocol had been smashed. What else could the old man say other than... Who gets to pick the restaurant? So Karen shows up with Michael, of course, and <laughs> it's her boyfriend. Looking back, it was quite a moment. Historic, really. After all, we were crossing the Rubicon here. So, you're the guy who's sleeping with my sister, huh? Huh? <laughs> There was nothing to do but swim for our lives. You know what's annoying about the, about Jack in this situation? I really don't think Karen's doing anything wrong here. Like from a like if you wrong if he, in what it, sense? Wrong in that she's she's Morally? found someone that she likes. There's like, nothing wrong with like, that. There's really nothing. But that's the point, Quinn. Yeah, you're supposed the kids are supposed to take her side, and the adults watching right. are supposed to take Jack's yeah. side. The dads that grew up in that, you know what I mean? I get it, but I'm I'm just saying that's it, the point. Yeah, no, Kara's not wrong. She's not doing anything illegal, unethical, yeah. immoral, amoral. You know? Yeah. But Jack just loves his daughter and wants her to be right. okay. Yeah, and I I think it's more about Jack needs to let go, not. Karen. They yeah. make that apparent. Yeah. Uh, they also show up on Michael's motorcycle. Michael, Michael right. motorcycle. <laughs> Michael, Michael, Michael. <laughs> so that, that, that had to be a joke, right? I don't know. Let's have him drive a motorcycle and be called Michael. Maybe. Right. <laughs> Maybe. We won't recap the whole episode, but after a lot of drama in the restaurant, Jack and Karen finally do reconcile. Thank goodness. I know. Seriously. Jeez. I couldn't hear exactly what they said, but watching them, I finally knew what my father needed for his birthday. Sorry. Not a funny tie. No. Or a $47 meal. Or even a ratchet set. What he needed was... Birthday. Was to know, deep down, that she remembered what he remembered. And to feel, even for that briefest moment, like king for a day. Now, I like this one, too, Quinn, because it reminds me of, like, things that have happened throughout my life in my 37, almost 38 years uh, in my family. There's the Arnold Christmas Party of 1971, but Kevin notices, and it's told by adult Kevin, you know, it just didn't seem the same anymore. And, and what I love about the Wonder Years, I need to mention this, is they were very good about showing flashbacks from the early 60s. With I love like, when they do those, like, little, the, the Super 8s. Yes, and then, with like, child actors. Yeah, and their hair, the, like, Dan Laurie's hair is different. Yeah, or, it's like, enormous, like, like, wearing a 50s dress or yes. something. Like, they do shit like that. And they find kids that look somewhat like Yeah, Paul like, like Kevin vaguely yes, enough like But it's them. good enough. Yeah. Every year when I was a kid, my parents threw a Christmas party. Everybody in the neighborhood came. Dad played the big cheese. Mom played Donna Reed. And a really stupid time was had by all. So they're showing like the Christmas party ones from the earlier 60s yeah. in, in Kevin's memory, right? Where everyone's happy and it's like great. So we're going to have one for 71. But like I said, it just doesn't seem the same. And so we, there, there's a whole thing with the episode. Some guy smokes weed. It's a whole thing. But adult Kevin says that was the last ones they ever did because it just seemed like the old days were gone. My parents never did throw another Christmas bash. And that was okay, I guess. But I still think about those parties. What they stood for. 
a time before TV dinners and two-car families, when grass was green and we were young. So and those nights when I'd lie awake in my bed, watching the light dance under my door and listening for my father's laugh. And if you've ever had a family tradition yes, or something that, that ended, right, sometimes people just get older and move on and things aren't the same, right, Quinn? I yeah. mean, we can all relate to that. That's life, right? That's like, life. You know, and, yeah. and, and, and again, it comes off as a slice of life episode. Absolutely. Of just, you know, things change. That's, yeah. that's all it is. Yep. Very, very simple, but very like Poignant, em- right? emotional to anybody that's experienced something Correct. like that, right? Yep. Uh, there's an episode where the Pfeifers, you know, that'd be Paul's parents, they lose a ton of money. Yeah. And because of that, Paul has to leave the expensive prep school and actually go to McKinley. So, okay. I want to say something about this. I always felt that this was like, <laughs> this was just used as, as a way of the writers getting yes. Paul back into the fold. 100%. It's not like their family has to like leave the town or something. Like it's, it's like, they're, I know they're just, they can't afford the prep school anymore. Like that, that's it, it, strictly a, a plot device to get Paul back in school. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And good because it's better that way. Yeah. Kevin finally gets his license. I guess the age of 16 in any town, you know what he gets? Grandpa Arnold's car. He makes a triumphant return. Yes. Because Grandpa Arnold is getting very old and doesn't want to admit it, but he finally realizes he can't drive anymore. Yeah, the story of getting the car is interesting just because it it, it turns into like this poignant, you know, we're, we're always focused on Jack and Norma in middle age and Kevin in adolescence, but what about, you know, the older folks from in the their gay fam- 90s or whatever? Yeah. What's like, go- I'm not kidding. Yeah, like- what's going on with them? Right. And like, it's like this kind of like conceit of like, my time is up, you know? And that's really what it is. He sells Kevin the car for $1. Adult Kevin says, I guess everybody remembers their first car. I know I remember mine. Not because it was my first car, but because it was my grandfather's last. Which, to me, resonates because I remember my grandfather, who I was, you know that, I was very close to my grandfather, Mm -hmm. almost like a second dad to me. He passed away in 2011 when he was almost 85, like right before he turned 85. But did he have a moment where he had to give up his car or something? He didn't, but he had started asking me to drive. Right. Since I started driving. Because he just knew it was better that way. Right. So to me, that kind of resonates. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I really adored him. He was a wonderful man. So I get the poignancy of this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also another. This is a heavy one and, and an emotional one. Wayne does not want to try to go to college because he's not an academic. Here's the thing is, I think there's an interesting sub thing going on during this all through the series about how it's in the early stages of parents expecting their kids to like where this was like a new concept early right? 70s yeah you're still seeing some people resist it like a wayne like a wayne and yeah. it's being this big fucking horrible thing that the the guy doesn't want to go to college right yes. it's interesting it plays out right so wayne and this friend wart that's one of yeah. wayne's friends named wart uh, they decide, you know what, we're going to enlist in the army. Vietnam then, still yeah. going on. And this is a way for them to feel like, hey, we're going to make everyone happy, right? We're doing is, something. We're do, we're, you know, because the army was the the other option, Correct. right? Especially and, when America was at war. And they still were in Vietnam, yeah. Right. Tomorrow you'll go down there and tell them you changed your mind. 
No, you don't understand. You don't understand. They're gonna send you off to Vietnam. They're gonna pack you up and ship you out so fast your head's gonna spin. This is not what the sergeant said. The sergeant said that... What's the matter with you? They'll tell you anything. You went to Korea. That was different. Why? What was different about it? Because you're a young, dumb kid. Well, you were a young, dumb kid, Wayne, too. Wayne, listen to me. You're not going. But Wayne, he realizes, is 18 now. Nothing he can do about it, so he goes to his physical, and he's rejected. I failed my physical. I've got psoriasis. They're afraid my back would really peel in the jungle. Psoriasis. Can you believe that? couldn't even do this right this is one of the most like okay now we're really starting to get somewhere with the Wayne character there's there's a huge humanization here like yes. this now, is now, the turning point th- this is is like he finally breaks down and cries I think in Jack's arms right you yep. and and he says something to the effect of like can I do anything right yep. right and it's like you you get you start to understand no, Wayne is a person. Like, he's not just generic right. brother who bothers Kevin. Right. Because we haven't harped on it too much, but throughout the series up to this point, Wayne is completely a pain in the ass at almost every turn. Right, yeah. Almost every turn. But this, to me, was the connection of, like, why is he that way? Right. Right? And, I, no I mean, this is, this is a Jack Arnold special right here. The way he handles his son here yep. is, like... So good, oh, man. Like so it's, good. He doesn't shame him or anything. Nope. He just he 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 realizes he loves his son. He realizes why Wayne wanted to do that. Yep. You know, exactly. it almost makes me teary eyed just thinking about and that's it. That's hard right? to do, Quinn. Right, yeah. Like just the it's just so well done. <laughs> Very well done. Jack and Norma have an episode here where they leave for the weekend. Wayne's actually doing something else. He's gone. He's doing yeah. something. So Kevin, you know, big teen here. Mm-hmm. Let's have a late night poker game, and all hell, of course, breaks loose. The poker game stuff. Yes, that starts oh, it's up around so this time. Good. I love that era. A party was one thing; a full-scale orgy was something else. And of course, because it's a uh, teenage situation, the house gets destroyed. <laughs> Kevin tries in a very futile effort to clean up the house. Jack and Norma get home a little early. They're pissed. What happened? Well, maybe this was justice. A payback for all the times I'd laughed at Wayne when he got in trouble. I don't believe this. In any case, there was no way out. But who wanders onto the scene to take the blame? Wayne. Wayne? How could you do something like this? What? No. Dad. Wayne, I want an answer. I want an answer now. Of course, he should have told. It was the moment he'd been waiting for his whole life. I'm sorry. It'll never happen again. But he didn't. I'm not sure why he didn't. Maybe he saw it was futile to try and explain. Maybe he knew how much harder my parents would be on me than on him. Or maybe he forgot and thought he really did it. Fucking awesome. Fucking awesome. And this is what I mean about, like... 
because also Wayne kind of doesn't have anything to lose. Nothing to lose. Because uh, he's always, A, he's always in trouble. B, he's like practically an adult. Correct. So he gives a shit. Like, and he actually felt bad for his little brother. Yeah. He's like, you know what? I'm, I'm it's like, Kevin was trying to have some fun. Yep. Like, just leave him alone. Like, of course, he makes Kevin like wash and wax his car as right. payment, but that's, that's that, worth that, it. That's Wayne ish. Yep. Like, Karen and Michael almost break up uh, until they get engaged. <gasps> 10 days later, Karen asked Michael to marry her. Whoops. Oh, and then they get married in this season. Yeah. And this is a funny one because they have like, and this is intentionally over the top, they have like a hippie wedding. Of course they do. In a backyard with like a Maharishi and all this, you know. <laughs> it's, in, it's completely ham-fisted I on mean, purpose. I mean, it's totally like, it's everything we expect from Karen. Yes. Like, it, it is exactly how I would, expect I would envision less. Karen's wedding to be. <laughs> Correct, like, yes. Nice to meet you, Wind. No, no, I'm Rainbow. This is Wind. Oh, yeah? And this is Butthead. <laughs> Meanwhile, Michael, for whatever reason, confides in Kevin. Hey, I got a job in Alaska. Right. Because now Michael's feeling the like, you know, it was fun being a hippie, but I got to support. I got to support her now. Right. It's like now it now it's fucking real. <laughs> you know what I like about Michael? There's not too much. He's not in a lot of episodes. It's yeah. a handful that David Schwimmer's in. What we find out, though, in each appearance is he actually just loves Karen. There's that in that he's not the hippie boyfriend we think he is. He's a guy starting a family and like Karen's not a girlfriend to him. Karen's a like, this is my life. Right. Right. You know, and yeah, and it's it's exactly the opposite with how he, how he was introduced and what Jack thought of him. He's a real person like with this is serious to him. Yeah. Right. You know, and he really does take care of Karen. Like he right. cares about her. Right. There's no ulterior motive here. He no. just likes her. <laughs> He's like, I like this woman. I want her to be my wife and yeah. I want to have a family with her. Yeah. Like this is not like some some fling or anything. Right. So there does become like a begrudging respect from yeah. Jack to Michael. Finally. Excuse me, but I have something I have to say. Uh, you know. This has been a heck of a day. I mean, seeing the way you live and meeting your friends. I guess we never really had the time before. But I hope that can change now. You know, I don't know when you grew up, Karen. But we're very proud of the way you did. And Michael, Norma and I both feel lucky that you're joining our family at the start of the summer when we start winding up the season here uh wayne winds up getting a job number 18 graduated getting a job at norcom on the loading dock Mm -hmm. as a worker kevin meanwhile gets a job at a chinese restaurant which is just chinese yes i'll never forget it for my whole life it's like so prototypical of the era, yeah. like everything about the Chong's Chinese thing. It's very of the era. Yeah. And he also finds a card from Kara. Remember the lake? From oh. Kara. Yeah. Remember she's the lake? Still, she's still going, right? She's still around. So he goes to visit her. He drives in his car in that his he has. Chong's Chinese delivery car. Well, remember Grandpa Arnold. I know, but now it's modified with yes, the Chong's. Yes, it, it is. You're right. It is. <laughs> it, it's something that's iconic and yes. it's throughout the whole season. You're right. You're right. <laughs> so he arrives there and she's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Why didn't you answer any... Why didn't you write back to me? Did you get my Christmas card? Oh. Sure. Yeah. You didn't write me back. 
well, you know, I'm, I'm not much of a writer, but I thought about you a lot. Kevin, why are you here? We also meet uh, Kevin's new friend, Chuck Coleman, from high school. Yep. He's not a jock. He's like the doofy one that's very dramatic yes. about everything. And Ricky Halsenbach, who is like a minor friend, mm-hmm. uh, who is the first one to get a license. So he factors in. But let's let's wrap it up here. This is season six from 1992-1993, uh, which means 72-73. It's probably the season I remember the most because I remember watching every single episode live and being yeah. surprisingly like captured by this season. There seemed to be, even from the onset, an understanding that this was like it. Well, the one thing is, this season, if you're a purist of the Wonder Years, which I am, I'm like a first four seasons kind of guy, I really am. There's a lot of really weird episodes that yes. are, are really dumb that I didn't even note. But to me, there's a, there was always a levity to this season. Or a I, gravity. Whatever. <laughs> the point is, is that... It's that all the characters are moving on in some way, shape, or form. There seems to be a lot of growth from every single well, yeah. character. And if you think about when this season aired, ninety two, ninety three, a show like 90210 was already out by this point. And this is where, if this show had kept going, we are veering into teen like high school drama type show yeah i don't think it needed to go any further than this i think yeah i mean yeah. i would have taken one more year have them graduate just have kevin and when he graduate because they're sure. in 11th grade in yeah. this but let's do it here so this is 92 93 number 54 in the nielsen's now we have really taken a dive down yeah i swear this is the time change like it was on at like 9 30 i really don't remember yeah there's a new kid though in school in 11th grade his name is Jeff Billings. This is uh, Giovanni Ribisi, who you might know from various things, but like I personally know him as Phoebe's brother on Friends. Yes, this guy. That's how I know him. Hey, what's this all about? Homecoming game. Oh. I'm assuming you'll be there? I don't know. I might have to spend the weekend with my dad. That was Jeff Billings, new guy in school. Believe it or not, he was the first kid I ever knew whose parents were divorced. This guy was very prominent. He's good. I like him in this season. He's He's very very prominent in this season. He's really good. One thing you've probably noticed, folks, there's not a lot of Paul lately. What I like about that, though, is, I mean, didn't you have friends that, like, you grew up from? No, the whole Paul, the situation with Paul is realistic. They even tried to shoehorn him back into the show, but they still kind of went with the like, no, they're like not. They're not as close. That's all it is. Like Paul is in a lot of these episodes, but he's not focused on. He seems like to Kevin, he represents the past. Yes. Right. Is like that's, you know, he'll never leave Paul because he, you know, he loves his friend or whatever. But like at the same time, it's like, you know, he's doing the more grown up things with the with Phoebe's brother and stuff. Exactly. (laughs) Whatever his name is. Yes. uh, Jeff Billings. Yeah. Who's actually a very good character. Yeah. Jeff Billings is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, in this season here, Kevin and Wayne go with Jack to a fishing trip, which is apparently triannual, meaning every three years. Uh, that's so we just don't, and we write in that that's why you never saw this yes, before. <laughs> correct. It's a big disaster, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of reasons. Comedy of errors. But it winds up making them closer together because they realize that Jack is really there to say goodbye to his past. You know, mm-hmm. they went there. He went there with his sons every three years since they were kids. The and now pl- the place is all fucked up, you yeah. know, and now Wayne's an adult and Kevin's the last one He's on and, the precipice. And, yeah. And if it's triannual, he sure as hell ain't going to be yeah. in high school by the Not time gonna be going. the next one is. No. Yeah. Where are we going to sleep? 
Maybe the hardest part of growing up is having those you always counted on look to you. I don't know. We'll think of something. Come on. We'll see what happens, okay? After all, okay. we come this far. No sense turning back now. I want to make a mention here. I don't like this season very much, although I like some of the things that happen, and I do like Giovanni Ribisi. I really do. To me, the, to me this is not the, a good the, season. The best stuff of this season is two things. It's the, the family and everyone shifting and moving and like life happening. I like that stuff a lot. I do too. Like everyone growing up. Every, yes. and, and also additionally, Norma and Jack contending with like everything changing around them. Correct. Right? I agree with that. That. And I love all these silly episodes with the friends. There's like they're, some they're, of them. They're, they're so much fun. Some of them they're are so good. so much fun. Some I, are really dumb. I, I don't care. They're just, they're uh, dumb fun. You're a last season kind of guy. You like season nine, Roseanne. You like the last season of Seinfeld. There's just a weird sentimentality to this season to me. There always was. Like I agree. I agree. You know? Well, for example here, Kevin, who I guess is with Winnie again, uh, they want to have, he wants to have sex. Which is pretty normal for a kid of that of course, age. 17, yeah. Yeah. They don't, but Kevin tells some of the guys... Well, he implies that they do, right? Winnie finds out, so that's it for them. Winnie. Can we just... go back to the way things used to be and forget about all this? And after all the times I wanted to hear her say yes... No, we can't. Meanwhile, Wayne, working at Norcom, uh, meets someone... Who also works there. This is so good. And see, this is what I mean. What, what do you hate this season? I, I didn't say I hated it. I never used those words. This? I said it's not as good. I this, said it's not good. This Wayne development okay. is amazing. So Wayne meets a 23-year-old mm -hmm. divorcee mm -hmm. with a six-month-old child named Bonnie. And now, guess, on its face, this seems like a terrible fucking idea. But here's the best part. Wayne does, like, the big try. Yes. He moves in with her. Yes. To take care of her and the kid. You're going to live together? Yes. It'll be great, huh? I'm going to take David to football games, to baseball games. I'm going to have to buy him a glove. It was unbelievable. I was standing there, watching my brother make a decision that would affect his entire life. Did you tell mom and dad? No, not yet. What's fascinating about this isn't that Wayne would do that, right? Because if you think about it, based off the Wayne failing with the military thing and all that stuff, yeah. this to him is a way forward, right? Yep. Like this is this is a way forward. This is it's a chance to be good at something. It's a chance to be good at something, and that's being a dad and, and yeah. being a family if man. He's right? fine with it. He loves it. He's right? not even faking it. He really wants it to. It changes his attitude towards everything. Like he's nicer to Kevin. He's nicer <laughs> to his family. It's real. But what's uh, what's funny about it is that based off Jack and Norma's experiences of raising him and their concern for how he's you know failed a lot of stuff in his life. They're not okay. They're concerned. No, they like they're it. very concerned they about him. It. They think he's going to be let down again. Correct. You know, like that this woman's going to leave him. Yep. And then he'll never see this kid again. Yep. And it's going to just ruin his like this. This will be the last straw. We'll spiral him or something. Correct. Right. Yep. Meanwhile, Jack finally leaves Norcom. Epic. This is so good. And he buys a furniture company. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> 
Norma, I've been over those figures six ways from Sunday. And without a loan, there's no way to make it work. I don't have enough collateral. Actually, Jack, you do. What do you mean? I just went down to the bank. You did what? I talked to that loan officer. I told him about your plans and projections. But mostly I told him about you. About the kind of man you are. I told them they should believe in you the way that I do. They think that's collateral enough. You did that? I'd like to make a toast. That night, we skipped the customary dinner at home. It seemed there was a more fitting place to gather. Two uh, new beginnings, new possibilities <laughs> to my family. To my girl. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> We're all happy for Jack. Everyone is good with this. This is amazing. Because <laughs> he's hated this job for as long as Fuck we've known. Norcom. <laughs> I hate that place. He buys like the furniture company. Yeah, I love it. It's great. And you know what? Maybe some of the people watching have parents that got out of a shitty job and got onto something they loved. You know what it's I like mean? Life changing. And that's what that's supposed to represent. Yeah. Speaking of life changing, Norma, who had applied, now graduates from Fremont Community College. This is great too. Good for Norma. And, and Norma starts to make strides in her. And I believe there's some clashes with Jack over this briefly. Yeah. But he's still understanding. Yeah. He loves yeah. her. Uh, Wayne continues his face turn throughout this season to the point where even like Kevin, adult Kevin, is like commenting on it. He's like, this is great. Yeah, he's like, like, Wayne's nice now or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. He is, though. Remember, he just becomes nice. The final week of 1972. Where I lived, it was a time of change, most particularly in the person of... Wow, curtains. <laughs> my new brother. Sure, maybe this looked like the same doofus I'd shared a room with for 15 years. But in one way, he was different. Will you look at this pattern, huh? Wayne was in love. <sighs> Come on, let's show Bonnie. And then on New Year's Eve of 1972, as we head into 1973, Bonnie breaks up with Wayne. Just go- as their parents feared. Right? To go back to her ex-husband, yep. Right. These things happen, right? You know... You can't make someone fall in love with you. Huh? No, you can't make them fall in love. It's just got to happen. And I guess that's when it hit me. How hard this guy had tried. How hard he'd been trying his whole life. And suddenly it all made sense. Who my brother really was. Not the family man he wanted to be or the stupid older brother I'd fought with my whole life. But just another grown-up kid with a broken heart. Kevin? Are you guys okay? It's almost midnight. Say this for my girlfriend. She had timing. There's something so endearing about that, like that Kevin is there for him. It's so good. It's so good. Meanwhile, Norma gets a job at a new startup company called Microelectronics, a software this is, company. This is great as far as the transition, like the transition as far as like industry in yep. the, the end of the 70s. That's when computers took off. And it is. 
meanwhile, Kevin does well on his SATs when he does better, of course, because mm-hmm. when he's a lot smarter as it's portrayed. And we get to the two-part finale. So part- This finale, I want to just say before we start. Go ahead. Is one of the better finales ever. I'll agree with you. It's really good. I'll agree with you. Part one is an episode named Summer, if you're looking for it. And in this episode, the summer of 73 has begun. Winnie gets a job at a lifeguard, as a lifeguard, at a hotel for the summer. Kevin had been working at Jack's factory, his furniture factory. For the summer. Yeah. But he gets into some bullshit with Jack, as usual. Maybe it was Winnie, or the noise, or the heat. But at that moment, I felt like I was going to burst. I don't believe it. What are you doing here? I was just making a phone call. You're supposed to be out there working. I can't leave you for one minute. What's your problem? What was that? Dad, get off my back! What? You're on top of me every second telling me how to run my life. Do this. Don't do that. I hate this job. What's going on here? You know what your problem is? Yeah, I can't stand it here. Uh Uh-uh. You think you're too good for this job. And that's when it happened. I looked at those guys, and all I saw was mediocrity and hard work and being chained down the rest of your life. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because maybe this job is good enough for you, but it's not good enough for me. Quits his job and drives to see Winnie at yeah. where she works, right? Huge blow up with his dad, by the way. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big fight. Yeah. He even gets a job at this hotel as a waiter. It's like almost like a comedy of like Kevin just like yes. like fumbling the fuck along because he just doesn't he wants to be near Winnie. That's all it is. Yeah. He's bored and he wants to be near Winnie. But because each of them are so busy with their jobs, they have no time to actually see each other. So Kevin decides to play poker with the house band of the hotel, and he wins big, and he gets his gas money. This is so funny. To me. The, the, all this shit. The, you know why it's good? Because the, the combination of the humor and the seriousness yes. going on. Like there's, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of ups and downs and yes. goofy shit that happens here. Very well done. Yeah. And what does he find but Winnie making out with one of her co-workers? Mm-hmm. So he is understandably upset about this. And this takes us to finale part two, which is called Independence Day. So to kick off part two here, this is the last episode ever of The Wonder Years, uh, May of 1993. Kevin's pissed off, obviously, about this winning development. With reason. Yeah. Look, Kevin, I've been giving this a lot of thought about what happened to us the other day. And uh... Okay, here it came. A full and abject apology. The man was going to crawl. I think you made a big mistake. What? Uh, you flew off the handle. You said some things that happens. Anyway, I want you to know that if you want to come back and work for me... Yeah? It'd make your mother happy. And that about ripped it. Look, Dad. I don't need you. I don't need your job. And I don't need your stupid underwear. Got it? I'm doing fine here on my own, okay? So he decides to play poker again, and this time he loses all of his money and his car. Well, what do you know? The part is mine. (laughs) And then he just says, fuck it. Storms in and punches the guy that when he was making out with one last punch. I just want you to know. And there you had it. 
I'll be leaving now. He makes a big scene, which gets Winnie fired from her right. job. Meanwhile, Kevin has hitchhiked home. So he gets his ride. He gets into the car. And who was already in there? Winnie. Winnie. Yes. With the, with the old people. With the old That's people. really funny. Oh, no. You two know each other? No. no. So they're in there bickering in the car. Yeah. What happened? You went out of bathing suits? Cannons. Or did Mr. Muscles find himself a new squeeze? I got fired. They fired you? Because of you. Well, congratulations. Who would have ever thought Little Miss Two-Timer would get a dose of... Are you of really milk? something? You know that? You are absolutely contemptible. Me? What about you? Rat? Tramp? The old people have had enough of this. They boot them out to the side of the road, <laughs> which I love. Then it starts raining. Yeah. So Kevin and Winnie are like, what the fuck are we going to do? They find an old... They're also arguing. Like, they're the arguing the whole t- time. They're pissed. Yeah. They find an old barn, and in this barn, it is never explicitly said what happens in the barn. But there's a huge it's assumption here. It's hinted at. That, that it finally happened. Finally, flowers have been lost, yes. so to speak. Yes. Finally, uh, boys have become men. It is never really said, though. It's just heavily implied. And I think it's only not said because it's a family network. Right. I think it's the only reason. But I mean, it's for the adults at home. They're like, okay. We get like, it. obviously, it, it has happened. Right. Yes. In a barn. Yes. What a great sanitary place. Yeah. Nothing Nothing well, like screwing next to the hay. Okay, I want to I want to say something here. Cow that, piss. That I feel like the reason why they did it in this setting, and I'll tell you. A barn? It's more like a wilderness style thing. Um, what? I think it's supposed to be kind of like a bookend of how they kissed in the woods. Oh. Like it's outdoorsy. They didn't have sex. It's never said. Whatever. It's like this kind of outdoorsy, <laughs> idyllic kind of. Not, Barn is not my ideal Maybe not thing. idyllic, but like, you know, just that it's outside and it's. You know, Again, whatever. I'd rather be on a bed. Yeah. In a room. I understand that. <laughs> Speaking there, of There point. was enough hay. I don't want. <laughs> Were they making hay? Yeah. <laughs> rolling in the hay. Yeah, I guess so. Growing up is full of big moments. Some you see coming a mile away. Some you never see coming at all. Anyway, the next day, they're able to make it home in time for the 4th of July parade. Right, which seems to be a backdrop of this is this 4th of July thing, right? And this is where the narration will start to kick in. Uh, One great thing that we get to see is Karen is there and she's pregnant. Yes, it's it's so good. It's so happy. (laughs) Yeah, once they arrive at the town, it's just like everything is less like, yeah, fuck it. Everything's great. Everything's fine. Like Kevin and Winnie holding hands, walking in, they meet up. I mean, they just just did the deed, so. Possibly, Quinn. Let's not make accusations. Uh, Kevin and Jack are fine. Like, they reconcile right there at the parade. As for my father, well, how you doing? Good. Welcome home. We patch things up. Norma! And then we get the closing narration here by Daniel Stern. So we find out the fate of all these characters. Because this is, wow. Because obviously... Adult Kevin is living in 1993, so he right. knows what happened. Right, so he knows he, the end game. Right, he's going to tell us what happened. So, Kevin himself graduated high school in 74, went to college, wound up becoming a writer. Paul went to Harvard, of course. Of course he did, yeah. Became a lawyer. Right. Karen's son was born a few months later, September of 73, mm-hmm. making Jack a grandfather, Norma a grandmother. Uh, Norma became a corporate board chairwoman. Good for Norma, by well, the way. See, I love that because the con- because they, they, they laid the seeds with 
hmm, secretary at a software company in the early 70s. Yep. That can only lead to success, yep. like literally. And it did. And Wayne, who has been on a renaissance. The Wayner stayed on in furniture. Wood seemed to suit him. In fact, he took over the factory two years later when dad passed away. This was the gut punch. This sucks. This was the fucking gut punch of the century to me. So Jack Arnold passed away in 1975, and as someone who lost his own dad, you know, yeah. at a younger age than I should have, that that hurts. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. By the way, this is two deep dives now where the dad that we love dies in the finale yeah, but, but via John, voiceover. John Goodman didn't really I die. I don't like it. Well, he did at the time. Yeah. Why do we have to kill the TV dad all the time? Can we stop doing that? You think it's because they the just only are two like, times it ever they, happened. They they felt like it would impact something because they're the most favorite characters on the show usually under the radar favorite, right? I mean, like a lot of people like Dan Connor and a, lo- a hell of a lot of people liked Jack Arnold. Jack Arnold, yeah, yeah. they're both amazing. We find out that uh, Winnie actually wound up going to Paris to school to study art history. Mm-hmm. Kevin says that they wrote to each other once a week for eight years until 1982. I was there to meet her when she came home with my wife and my first son, eight months old. And I know there's a little controversy. Some people said, I, I know this back then even, and people have said it to me now about that show, is that they really don't like that Kevin and Winnie didn't end up with each other. But I think... Tough shit. I think it's so realistic. <laughs> yes. Like, right, that they were childhood sweethearts or she whatever. She went to school like, in Paris for eight years. Yeah, like, what is they, he supposed it's not to fucking do? Real. And, and honestly, based off that whole thing in the barn and, like, the arguments and all that, it would have never, like, long-term worked out. They weren't even a good couple ever. Right. There was, like, always bullshit. Like, yeah. either Winnie's being a pain in the ass or Kevin's thinking about other women. Like, it's always shitty. Yeah, it's always something. And but, hell, Kevin wants to date the fucking teacher. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, Where anytime he's at a lake or an ocean, he meets somebody. Oh, yeah, and then the Winnie rules go out the <laughs> right. door. And she's like, I like Roger. I like Kirk. Without, like, any warning, by the way. The whole, like, it always right. with Winnie, it's always just, like, out of fucking nowhere, right. some guy shows up they're not a good couple yeah like, they're pretty contentious most of the time it's not right. that good yes uh, so i'm fine that they didn't wind up together they cared about each but other this was, but i'm just saying that this was like kind of a point of contention it for was. a lot of people it, in the f- final aspect of this show it 100 right? was and the final narration from daniel stern which i'm going to drop in growing up happens in a heartbeat one day you're in diapers next day you're gone but the memories of childhood stay with you for the long haul. I remember a place, a town, a house, like a lot of houses. A yard like a lot of other yards. On a street like a lot of other streets. And the thing is, After all these years, I still look back with wonder. Dad, want to play catch? I'll be right there. He has a kid now. Yeah. And I just love that. Now he's in the jack role. Yep. Yep. Man, this is just such a good show. I mean, it was to be clear, it was canceled. It wasn't like they knew this was the last season. They didn't know until 
after the episode was filmed and the narration dictated that this was the finale. This wasn't necessarily shot to be the finale. But like I said, even at the time, I remember this season feeling like this has to be the end, right? I mean, like I, I, I didn't have any illusions that this show was going on for most of the season. Did you think... In fact, I was, you know, for years, I was confused that Kevin wasn't in his last year of high school. Yeah, you just... It, like, it just it just felt like they happenstance, were... Like, but it felt yeah. like this was the end. Like, like it's, you, you don't think they could have done one more year? I think they could have had it with him in that fucking finale? Absolutely not. Well, the, not the, and I'm saying even without the narration, because that, that whole... All that shit that went down with Winnie was just felt uh, like so final. It, it felt like they were saying know. goodbye. With the 4th of July scene? I don't know. No, they, not the 4th. I'm talking the barn sex ah, felt like that was... It's not sex. Whatever. We don't that, know this. But this that felt like a, a goodbye situation. I don't know if it was. I don't know. They didn't know. To be truthful, they didn't know. Because you know how the Wonder Years is. Let's say they do another season. And then after the barn, when he hates me again. You know what I mean? Like, that could have been how they started the next and season. And then the whole season, he's chasing her again. Yes, and uh, then finally they graduate, and it's still, like, the same shit. They, like, then they, they have sex in somewhere stop else. Stop it. They and didn't then, have and sex then, ever, Quinn. We don't or know. Or they, they, they finally say it's sex, and then that's that's the true end. We fucked at the carnival. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> the one of the main reasons for the cancellation is that ABC was hesitant to show 18-year-olds acting like 18-year-olds in that time slot on their network. You know the types of things that 17, 18-year-olds do that are probably illegal or looked down upon? and uh, Smoking weed. It's the like, 70s. Yeah, like, like, the fact that that never got really like never. introduced into the situation was really strange. Just that one time when like some jerk did it at like the Christmas Like there was drinking, party. but there was no like not- marijuana, which was like the prevalent drug yes, of the era. Exactly. Or it could have even gone darker because it's the 70s. It could have been cocaine involved. Or quaaludes or something yeah. or LSD. Also, the ratings were going down, which does affect sponsorship. They do matter. Ratings matter. Um, yeah, but see... They matter, Quinn. The only thing I'm going to say about that is that ABC had a knack for shielding a lot of shows from the ratings because they put them in these blocks. Well, they did. Like, The Wonder Years was in a block with other shit. True. You know? At this point, though, the salaries were going up, and it was just more expensive than it was worth, so mm-hmm. they canceled it. So, overall, with this show, we just ran it down for you, folks, and if you haven't watched it, give it a shot. Overall, Quinn, the legacy of the show is pretty positive, I'd say. I mean, it's considered a an influential show. Yeah, it turned out that this show that was, you know, not the highest rated. Never. We were talking to a lot of people. The Wonder Years is always that, remember the Wonder Years? Like, remember how good it was? Like, yeah. And, like, it felt good because I remember at the time when I would watch it, nobody was talking about it, but it was something I just watched every week, yeah. right? And I think that speaks to, it was... A show that wasn't really discussed. It was just something everyone watched. It's surprising that the ratings were that low because it felt like everyone knew about it. I don't know if they maybe saw it in the summer reruns. Maybe they were, that's when people were watching maybe. it. I don't know, but like it seemed like everyone and their mother knew about this show and knew every, that was the idea. knew about the finale, knew everything that happened. I just I thought it was weird hearing back that it was getting thirties and stuff yeah. like that when when like anybody you talk to has seen this fucking show. Everybody and their mother was the actual literal idea for the show is right, that you would yeah. watch it with your baby boomer parents, so to speak. Yeah. I really think, and this is going to sound stupid, and if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. I think it's an underrated show, certainly under Nielsen rated show, because I have always appreciated this show yeah. for its creativity, for its writing, for its casting, for its acting, for its attention to detail. It seems like it should be a one hour show. 
it seems like an HBO show yeah, or something. But like, in those 23 minutes or whatever, you know, yeah. they cram in all this rich detail and music and background and heart mm-hmm. and humor. And I really think that it's uh, in that regard maybe overlooked. I'm not saying people don't remember it. I'm not saying it's not well regarded. But I think I, it was overlooked in its time. Yeah, maybe not now. Yeah. Maybe not now. That's what I have to say about it. Love the show. Yeah. I think that Dan Loria is the all-star of this show. 100%. As Jack Arnold. I love him in this but I gotta, show. I got to hand it to Fred Savage. He's incredible here. Yeah, we we, we kind of like glossed, low, over. glossed over him, but he- He's incredible. He really came off as a genuine person. That's why they show. cast him. Like, and he, and like, not, like not this perfect character, not, yep. not a stereotype, nothing. Like he was just- a he's kid. Just, he's just a kid that went through shit like every other kid. And you Daniel, know? Daniel Stern, big MVP, by the way. Right. Daniel Stern really tied it together. Yep. And honestly, all of the cast was great. I would, I, would, I would say weirdly that Winnie is the weakest just because she's just honestly just not very complex and just kind of she's aggravating. Un- unpredictable as a character. She can be very aggravating. Yeah. She really is. I'm yeah. serious. There was a point where she's even more unpredictable than Karen. I mean, like, yes. it's just weird. Yeah. I don't think they're a good couple, folks. Let us know. Were Kevin and Winnie actually a good couple? Yeah. Should they have wound up together? And should we have had one more year of the Wonder Years to yeah. get them through the end of high school? Let us know that, of course, on Twitter at AWM Podcast. And you can also join our Facebook group. Hey, we did it. Another TV deep dive. Yep. It'll be at least another two or three months before we do another yep, one. Yep. They're, they're, they're rare. They're rare. But we will promise you we'll be back next week for something completely different until that time thank you so much for listening here we will see you next week i'm joe morata that's michael quinn and we are out of here see ya like what you heard be sure to leave a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app we will see you next week